ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in, because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America, Babylon, and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. everybody welcome aboard we had a little intermission there harry are you old enough to remember intermissions during the movies (laughs) i'm old enough to remember the the romans in the coliseum i think (laughs) did you ever get to see that well some of those great movies like ben-hur or other epics and they were about three hours long and halfway through they would take a break and turn the lights on you could go get popcorn and a coke yeah, heck yes. And uh, I remember Quo Vadis. Uh, my sister and I were sandwiched between my folks. And when they got to the scene where they're feeding the Christians to the lions, my mother insisted my dad cover our eyes so we couldn't see this. You know, what the heck? Come on, don't be silly, Mom. Hey, that was a great movie. But yeah, I remember. I remember that. Yeah, and that was the only way you got your video news I'll tell you a funny story my daughter brilliant young lady she's 32 now she's master's degree executive with a big financial company doing really great when she was 10 she wanted a, a TV for her own room I said honey we got three TVs in the house I said when I was your age 10 we didn't even have TV. She says, why, was Grammy and Grandpa that poor? I said, no, it wasn't invented yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, those were the good old days, though. You know, um, they really knew how to play a movie. Yeah. And, uh, I. Um, yeah, not only that, but my dad, we didn't have any money. My dad was a clerk in the post office, and back then they didn't get paid diddly. Um I was nine years old before we ever took a vacation. I was 13 before my dad ever bought a car. But prior to us having a TV set, dad would come home and he'd bring home these paint-by-number things, you know. Do you remember that? Paint-by-numbers. I'm trying to remember. Tell me more. Well, the the picture was all laid out in... uh, 
lines and numbers in each little section. And if you section says nine, so you find whatever paint is number nine, and you put it in there. And then the over here might be blue. That's number six. You paint that little section. By the time you're done, you have a a, a picture, a painting. And we'd sit around the dining room table, the four of us, and we'd paint. And that was our that was our family time because there was no TV to get in the way. And when I was ten years old, my dad brought home a TV set. We got my sister and I had to go upstairs to our bedrooms, and we didn't know why. And then they called us down. They had the TV and they had it on. It had rabbit ear antenna, and we were watching the roller game of the week. Oh man, roller derby! I remember roller derby uh, on. That was like uh, came out of the movie uh, uh, called with James Conn called Rollerball, nineteen seventy four, and they were on the uh, yeah uh, roller right. Skates but when I was watching at, at at ten years old, that was long before James Conn. That was in nineteen forty nine when I was ten. Whoa! <laughs> wow! I didn't know Rollerball went back that far. Wow. It, yeah, not the not roller ball, but the roller derby. Amazing. Yeah, did you talk? Uh, you know, shifting gears. James Con, not a. It was not a big guy. He was short, about five foot seven, five eight, I think, if that. You know, he used to be a rodeo cowboy before he went into uh, acting. Really, I didn't know that. Yep. He he's uh, he was Jewish, and so he was called uh, the kosher cowboy. Look it up. <laughs> well, shoot, he's even taller than Omega Man. I'm only five foot five and three quarters. Uh, okay. Uh, do they like short you ever guys? Ever think about going into uh, the rodeo business? <laughs> I was going to say, are there jobs for short people? Um, uh, would I do good on a submarine? Uh, who's better on a submarine, short or tall people? Oh, are you kidding? Short people. I uh, My first trip on a submarine, not out, but just visiting on board, I was 5'10 at the time. I'm only 5'8 now after my fall off the roof and I landed on my ass. That shortened me up a bit. But I was 5'10. Let me tell you, they make them submarines out of hard steel. You bang your head and you'll remember it. And a lot of them were tall, though. Um my best friend in Germany, Hans Georg Hess. He was six foot, commander of a Type Seven. Um, the tallest was a guy named Helmut Framsdorf, at six foot nine. He had to walk stooped over all the time, or he'd be banging his head. So they're not made for comfort. The new ones are, yeah. The boomers. I went out for a short patrol, three days, I think, on on USS West Virginia. Oh, you don't bang your head there, boy. You got like eight foot overhead, four decks high, and you eat really good. Wow! But that was back, you know, the old days. It was not nice. Everybody, welcome aboard. If you're just tuning in, we're just revving up the engines here. Before we take our uh, deep sea patrol into history, and we're going to be talking about a new book out. Uh, Harry is uh, going to be covering some of that here in a moment. But before we do, Harry, um, we've got to cover some news that's happened since our last program. And um, I want to get your take on this uh, 
disaster, which was called the Titan submarine, that uh, oh boy imploded. Or what? What do you make of what happened? What's your take on this? The Titan. There's there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories going around, etc. So I don't know anything about that stuff. But uh, what is it? Seventeen thousand feet down, something like that. You got to be kidding. That is. You know, how many thousands and thousands of pounds pressure per square inch? Uh, my opinion, those guys never knew what hit them. It just right now, bang, zoom. Which, with a submarine, for instance, you know, people think, oh, they drowned, they got hit. They're 400 feet down, they got hit, they drowned. No, they don't drown at that depth. The pressure is so much greater than you're used to. At, even at 400 feet down, the... Um, the atmospheric pressure inside the boat is one atmospheres of pressure, but outside it's like 40. The human body is not meant to uh, sustain that kind of instant shock. And those guys down there in that uh, submersible, holy cow. I mean, I don't think they even had a chance to hear the thing cracking, my own guess. But I wouldn't do it. I'm, really? usually, I'm not afraid of anything. But I think you got to be dumber than a box of rocks to go down and pay fifteen thousand bucks. I think it is, or whatever, it, uh, whatever you paid to go down there. Try you pay uh, a lot of money to go down and try between hmm? one hundred and fifty and two hundred fifty thousand dollars per head. And um, oh boy, even with a discount, I think they got man. Uh, you got to be pretty wealthy to take a chance like that. So one of the guys that went down there, I think the billionaire, took his son with him, and um, yeah. From what I heard, this thing wasn't even, you know, like the, the normal submarine made out of uh, steel, but this was made out of like carbon fiber, and they had a PlayStation right That's joystick control. Believe, yeah. What the hell are they doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they make a uh, they make a big deal out of that PlayStation, but I, I don't know. So what? How complicated do you need it? You need to go up, down, left, right, forward, and aft, and that's it. But I don't know. So the that carbon fiber, though. You know, if you build a thing, yeah, if you build the thing properly, it should have. Uh, I'll tell you, here's something else. This is a, a, a game we used to play on guys when back in, in our science class days. You cannot break a chicken egg with your bare hands. If you interlock your fingers and put one egg, one end of the egg in each in the palm of each hand, and then try to squeeze in without using your knees, but just your arms, you cannot break the egg because of the conical structure of it. I've tried and I've tried. What when I was a young man, young and stupid. Uh, you try it yourself, Shannon. When we get off the air, grab an egg, interlace your fingers. Put one end of the egg in, each, in the palm of each hand and squeeze without using your knees. Squeeze just with your arms. You can't break it. Wow. So that thing, it, it it had been down umpties zillion times. I don't know, two, three, four, five, fifty, however many times it went down. And apparently they never had a problem. But unfortunately, you know, at that with that kind of a risk factor, you don't get the problem more than once. I think um, on one of their dives down there, there was a malfunction with the thrusters, and uh, only one of them was working, 
And so when they would hit the thrusters, it would just spin around in a circle. And uh, thankfully, they had oh. they had somebody rewire the controls, I guess, uh, through software, and they were able to uh, uh, come up again. But this time they go down there. This thing apparently imploded. And uh, it's being said that the, uh, the Navy, of course, knew yeah. it days before. I mean, you know, look... Um, We've got such sophisticated sonar right. systems. I mean, um, is it true, and also satellite, that today uh, the militaries are so sophisticated that they can even detect these submarines from outer space using satellites? I mean, can we track them like that now? What's your take on that? And with sonar? They, they track a lot of way, different ways. They've got, yeah, and they've got, um, um, what is it? Sonar or underwater microphones in yeah. strategic areas. Um, for instance, uh, oh, way back when I was in the Air Force and we worked with the Navy a little bit, they could detect Soviet submarines as soon as they left their harbor because they had sauna buoys or sauna whatever wow. the heck on the bottom of the ocean. And the Russians had the same along our coastline too. So everybody knew when the other guy was heading to sea. And then what? Okay, so you wait to see where they go, and you play hide-and-seek. Underwater listening stations, everything like that. So uh, the word is the Navy heard the sound signatures of this thing imploding. Now, what would actually happen in the implosion to the human body? Would it take you and squish you flat like a pancake? What would happen to the body? Turn you into jelly? What do you think actually happened Uh, physically? I... That that would be my guess, uh, jelly, because you're, you're just being crushed so quickly, and you're turned into fish food. I mean, it sounds kind of harsh, but that's what it turns out. You turn into fish food real quick. Wow. Like, like opening, I said, I, I don't believe those guys ever saw it coming. Bang, it was over. Like opening up a can of tuna fish, your body would be like that consistency. Just shredded and, and, and mush. That, that's what I would take it. And so, yep, you're not going to find any body parts. Bite then. size for the fish. Wow. I don't, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. That's and horrible. if they find them, so what? They ain't going to go after them. No, man. Like two not miles that down. far down. It ain't like they sank at 400 feet. Then you go after them at 400 feet. But at whatever that is, 15, 17,000 feet down, they're not, you know, they just say a prayer and that's it. Wow. Yeah, man, I uh, that was so... I wonder if they... <laughs> That's a rather rather morbid thought. I wonder if they get a refund <laughs> on their money. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Um, I have, you know, I, I have, you know, fear of just drowning, let alone uh, getting stuck two miles down and something goes wrong and you realize you're, you're screwed down there. I mean, good grief. No, I, I'll take a pass on that. Um, you have, yeah. Before we, you have no help, no help whatsoever. John Wayne and the cavalry ain't going to show up. Before we surface from the depths of the ocean and talk about your book, you did mention you've been on some submarines <laughs> before. Uh, what was it like for you to be on a submarine and dive and be under the water? How do you describe that? Uh, with the boomer boat I was on, you didn't even know you were dived. It was like being in a hotel room or in a hotel 
you can't, uh, we didn't feel motion. We didn't feel you can't feel speed uh, because you're inside and you're going the same speed as the walls and everything around the bulkheads. Uh, it was it was fascinating and and a good friend of mine uh, who's passed on now. He and his wife were like Grammy and Grandpa to my kids. He was in the German Navy and he was a diving planes operator on a German U-boat on U three one five. So the skipper. Let him sit at the diving stations and operate the diving planes on this 18,000-ton boomer boat, whereas before he had been on a 760-ton Type 7. Wow. You didn't feel it. Also, we, we, were, out for, we were out for a short patrol on a, uh, a French Daphne-class boat which is a copy of the Type 21 German U-boat. And in uh, uh, Cape Town, Cape Town Harbor, Cape Town Bay, whatever that is, and because it's so shallow there, they can't do any steep diving. So we went down at a very gradual angle. You never even even felt it. Now, Harry, what's the air quality like on a sub? Is it uh, cool, humid? Uh, smelly, what do you describe the air quality like? We weren't down long enough on on the Daphne class boat, but on the Boomer boat, we were down for three days. On these new boats, attack boats and uh, Boomers, they have such sophisticated ventilation systems. They scrub the oxygen. They make their own water. Uh, it's a whole different ball game from the guys in World War II. And the American subs, for instance, they'd be out for a couple of months at a time because they had to go from Midway or Brisbane or Pearl Harbor all the way to the to Japan. And they'd be weeks underway getting out there. And uh, as you know, in the magazine we publish, you're, you've been a member for what, eight, nine, ten years? You've been getting right. our magazine. Yes, sir. Um, We've got a section in there, uh, diving with Dex. There was a guy named Dex Armstrong who had been a submarine sailor. Um, and he, he goes through the, the mundane, you know, you're, you're zipping along at, uh, you know, 200 feet down. And what are they cooking? <laughs> Spam uh, or whatever else. And, you know, that, that got smelly and stinky. In wartime, you know, you don't always you don't always get uh, five star accommodations. Only <laughs> only the Air Force did. Right, and I and from the movies I've seen, I think the captain's quarters were probably the largest. But everybody else, it's like uh, uh, you're sharing a bunk uh, with the the guy that you're about to relieve. Yeah, in the World War Two. Yeah, exactly. They call it hot bunking. Uh, one guy's working, the other guy's sleeping, and when they change uh, the the duty uh, section, then they just the guy sleeping gets up, and the guy who was working hops down there. And on the German boats, they didn't have any facilities for washing, except on the super big boats. They we just found out that they did have a little way to clean up a bit, but on the on the average combat submarine, the Type Seven, the Type Nine. Uh, the sheets uh, never got washed 
Wow. The the underwear you wore when you got on the boat was the same underwear you were wearing when you got off the boat, you know, a month later. Oh, man. Yeah, you so, did a lot of privations. Uh, one, <laughs> one of our members, a guy named Red Nordenberg, he was on... Uh, I, he was on the USS Sargo, an American sub, and uh, he said they'd be out for two months. They'd come back, and they'd they'd spend hours in the shower at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel. I guess the U.S. Navy took it over. They'd spend hours scrubbing, and they'd put on fresh clothes and everything, and um, soak themselves down with what they call foo, which was usually uh, old spice. And then they'd go out and try to pick up a girl, and the girl would say, oh, you're a submarine sailor. <laughs> you couldn't get rid of the smell. <laughs> Are we talking Mold about... Mold and diesel oil. Um, was there cases of lice also? Do you get any um, bed bugs and things like that when you can't change the sheets or take a shower for months at a time? It's got to be stinky in there. Well, I, I suppose there were, but in the American boats, I, I didn't hear of it. It probably happened, but on the uh, on some of the Japanese boats, they were loaded with lice, and on some of the Italian boats, uh, they had cockroaches everywhere. Oh no! But, cockroaches! You know, oh. you get in a closed, yeah, yeah, nasty little things. You get into a closed area that's damp, humid, warm. Those guys, those guys love it. And Sound- submarines, unless you're up in the Arctic. Sounds like my drains down here in Bali. They're loaded with cockroaches, and I have to pour Korox bleach uh, at least once a week down there to keep them from coming up. <laughs> That's what happens when you live on an island. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, folks, we went diving once on the island of Roatan. A good friend of mine who's now passed on, uh, Till Sass, had a dive operation. And, I mean, this was, this was rustic. <laughs> we were in... We each had our own room, of course, in this ramshackle <laughs> hotel, and the lights went out at nine because that's when they shut off the generator. And so I'm sound asleep in my bunk, and all of a sudden I hear scratch, scratch. What the hell's going on? I get up, turn on my flashlight, and crabs were coming up through the shower drain. Whoa! <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I started running the hot water gently so that it kind of discouraged them from coming up. Don't you love those vermin? Um, hey, you get, yeah, you get out of the United States or Europe or any of the, the, the first world type places. You go into some of the third world places. Live with it. Listen, we've lived with it all. Ants, it, 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 flies, cockroaches, yeah. rats lizards the worst experience so yet was uh democrats scorpion in the bed um Ooh. in costa rica and Ooh. down here no scorp- scorpions i've come across but i did have a um i did kill a bespeckled baby cobra in my backyard almost stepped on it and oh, uh geez. it looked like a huge worm oh, yeah. and i that said would have been exciting that's not a worm oh that's a snake and I ended up breaking a broom handle to kill it. And when it was dead, I flipped it over and it had, uh, it looked like a pair of glasses. That's why they call them bespeckled cobras. It was a baby. And uh, I don't know where mama right. was, but I certainly didn't want to find out. <laughs> but no, 
No, we had a we had a history tour. I took to South Africa, beautiful country. The uh, the government has since <clears throat> gone differently, but when we were there, one of our guides was taken food out of a cardboard box and there was a cobra in there and, and it bit him uh, but he uh, beat the snot out of the cobra and killed it and his arm went numb until he could get it working again you can't mess around down here in Florida we got the four major kind of poisonous snakes down here but for the most part they're afraid of people they stay away from people because people kill them We've lived here for 33 years, and when we first moved here the first year, uh, I had to kill two coral snakes, which is sad because they're not aggressive, but wow, I can't have them in my front yard where my kids would play. Right. And um, we, also, yeah, we also have the indigo snakes here, and I was at a nature preserve, and there was this indigo snake all coiled up, and I was patting him because it was cold. Nothing was moving. <laughs> and the guy come over and says, why are you messing with that? Cotton mouth. Oh, I thought it was a. I thought it was an indigo snake. <laughs> no, it was a water moccasin. Ooh, uh, but it was so cold. I don't think he was moving. Shoot, he was frozen. Never uh, saw a copperhead. Oh yeah, we goodness. never saw a copperhead, but we we did see a rattlesnake. Uh, it was about. Ten years ago, I guess, on the road. I live in, in an area where if you get five cars a day coming by that's rush hour so we were going out and there was a yellow rattlesnake that's a cane break rattlesnake and they got some of the worst poison i guess this guy was about eh, three feet long maybe so my wife's yelling run him over run him over i said why he didn't hurt he didn't cause me any trouble so i stopped the car and i got out and went to talk to the snake and of course he coiled up in his defensive posture and my wife's yelling, he's going to kill you. No, you know a snake can only strike one-third of their distance. So I was staying about four feet further away than his striking distance, trying to talk to him, see if he would calm down. But he he, he just didn't trust me. So I got back in my car, and he went back into the woods, and that was the ball game. Well, times like that, I'd like to have one of those little um, 410 snake charmer shotguns it's about two foot long (laughs) you ever seen those about about as long as your arm yeah but no yeah nobody out here has a 410 shotgun if it ain't a 12 gauge it's not a shotgun (laughs) exactly we live here in hillbilly heaven where yeah you got 44 magnums you got uh, 12 gauge shotguns uh the the 410 is for the girls and and uh, the nine millimeter Exactly. I'm happy with my 44 mag. Folks, you never know where we may go. We were in the, under the ocean a minute ago. Now we're talking about snakes, but we're going to get back on track. Uh, I love talking to Harry because uh, what is the track? he's a man of adventure, and uh, he has been around the world. Well, welcome. Where are you tuning in from? Uh, Harry Cooper of SharkHunters.com is our special guest today. And, Harry, you've got some new books out. Uh, we're going to talk about one of them. Uh, which one? Do you want to feature today on the program? What do you got? Well, we've just come out with a new series, Hidden Secrets of World War II, and Volume 5 just came out, and it probably has the most impact. We have, Shark Hunters is 40 
years old, and we've got members around the world, 30, no, in 70-something countries. Ronald Reagan was a member. Uh, the Medal of Honor winning commander, submarine commanders were members, etc., etc. Uh, the last supreme commander of the Soviet Navy still is a member. So a lot of them were... <coughs> A lot of them were spooks. That does not mean black people. That means spies. We had a lot of spies in membership. And years ago, when we were really uh, getting started, they gave me a ton of information with the proviso that I couldn't release it for at least 25 years. Well, that time has gone by, and we're releasing that plus a lot more that I've learned myself uh, along the way and uh, sorry got a lot of oak pollen in the air so I got a little cough I love secrets we have uh, yeah and I love digging them out um, and we've got secrets we still can't talk about yet but uh, what we're coming out with uh, well let, let's just look at the table of contents here on volume 5 uh, some time ago, back before I was able to talk about it, uh, one of our members in Argentina, now let me step back a minute, people have thought for quite a while that Argentina had a part to play in the war. You bet they did. The Third Reich didn't die, it just moved to South America, primarily Argentina. Holy cow, uh, we're still finding stuff. So anyhow, some years back, one of our members uh, in Argentina bought a nice house out in the in the boonies and was refurbishing uh, it with um, period antiques. And he bought a Louis the Fourteenth desk. Big deal. Looks just like a cheap ass desk. But <laughs> he bought it and. Uh, he was cleaning it up. He found a secret compartment. And there was a diary in the secret compartment kept by a, uh, uh, his rank was Hauptsturmfuhrer, which is the same as a captain, but he was in the Waffen-SS. He was Hitler's personal bodyguard down there. And this diary goes through how they got to South America, and no, those idiots that put in their book that he came by U-530 submarine, they're full of baloney. He flew down on this big aircraft that we found uh, evidence. It had an 8,000-mile range and landed in Uruguay, and he went down to southern Argentina in Patagonia. Uh, but when they got across from Uruguay to Argentina, it's in this book on what day, how far they went. And remember, Argentina, 1945, was really primitive, except for like Buenos Aires, and they stayed away from that. They were driving down rut roads. Sometimes they were driving down dry creek beds, and they tell all about day-to-day what people they bumped into, described all that. Then, and, and, and they stayed 
for the winter, which was July, August, September, because that's winter down in south in the southern hemisphere, they stayed at a place called the Estancia San Ramon, which is a huge, huge, huge big ranch, hundreds of square miles. So I went there in 2008, my first time down to Argentina, and my guide, whose name was Nahuel, and I went to the Estancia San Ramon. We drove along <laughs> this narrow road made out of, uh, I think it's pronounced Ripia, which either means a bunch of rocks or we just haven't plowed it yet. So, And it was a rental car, so it may not be very decent, but wasn't my car. Push the button. We're going down there at a pretty healthy speed, leaving a cloud of dust behind us. We got there, and uh, I met the uh, um, the state manager. Nice young man, about forty years old, I guess. Spoke excellent Spanish, of course. Spoke excellent English with a German accent. So whenever I'm doing an interview, I. I I'm not sneaky, but I ask the soft, easy questions to put the person at ease, and then I, bang, come in with a heavy question. So we're asking them, uh, you know, how many people, uh, how many staff, etc. what do you raise? And then out of the blue, I said, can you, they had a bunch of uh, guest cottages. I said, can you tell me which guest cottage is where Hitler and uh, Abel Brown stayed? When they first came here, you'd think the guy would say, hey, I'm only 40 years old. That happened long before, you know, World War II was way before my time. He thought for a minute and he very calmly said, I have been instructed. I may not speak about that. Well, what the heck? Right. That tells you right there that that confirmed it. So uh, there was also... Uh, well, they had about 80 or so people on staff when he got to the place called Inalco, which somebody told me means water's edge or something like that. But that was the uh, place that was built way south Patagonia, about 700 miles southwest of Buenos Aires. Um, and people say it's by the town of San Carlos de Bariloche. No, it isn't. It's 60 kilometers beyond that by a little, beautiful little picturesque town called Vicha Langostura. And he had a beautiful house. I was there, I don't know how many, many times I've been in the house, and sadly, it's starting to show its wear. But there were three guest cottages. There was a little house that sat astride a fast-rushing stream, very narrow, like about two feet wide, but fast-moving water, and it turned the uh, the little paddles in the generator. There was a little cook shack right behind the manor house. <clears throat> there was a, uh, a boat house where the seaplanes would come in because that place was 40 miles away from a railhead. Um, the only way you could get anywhere was to come in by seaplane and then catch one of the local little uh, packet boats that was running around from uh, place to place. So I was there in 2008. 
and took a lot of pictures. They're on my website, um, sharkhunters.com. And uh, now in this diary, we find that, uh, when the heck was it? Um, Well, first off, in 1952, our member Don Angel Alcazar de Velasco, who was a German agent, was still working for the Third Reich up until 1958. Yep, the Third Reich was still going, still is today. Um, he was ordered down to bring a file and a bunch of photographs to Hitler because he was he was based in Mexico City at the time, and he was keeping track of two young children in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, the boy's name was Adolfo, and the girl's name was Stern, which is a German word for star. Oh, right away, people think, oh, yeah, it must be Hitler's children. Well, maybe they were. We don't know. We can't say yes, they were or no, they weren't. But anyhow, Don Angel went down there, and he stayed in one of those guest cottages. And the last time we were down there, 2019, before the Kung flu pandemic, we stayed overnight in that very same guest house. We also chopped around in the underbrush, and we found the remains of a retaining wall made out of rock that was done when Hitler was living there. Then we find in this diary, uh, it was a very small town at that time. Bariloche was the main place where you catch a little packet boat to go around, etc., Everybody knew everybody, like the Wild West of the U.S. And uh, all of a sudden, there were six guys came into town. Uh, They didn't come there to fish. They didn't come there to ski in the mountains. They weren't chasing women, but they spoke excellent German. But there was something about them they couldn't put their finger on. So they had some of the people from the... Estancia from the uh, place there in Alco, keeping an eye on him in town. And one day, one of the security guys found two guys in the forest on the property. They were bird watchers, they said. Okay, so they got run off. And now the radio traffic back and forth between the people at Inalco and the people they had in town was getting busy. So they called in a, a fellow who was who was a member of Shark Hunters, and he was a World War II high-ranking officer. I'm picking my words carefully here because <clears throat> it's in the book, um, and put him in charge, and they brought in a bunch of 7.62 uh, machine guns. Yes. He called them cannons. Right. And they they set them all up, and they got word, code word, that these people, these six guys had disappeared from town. They had rented a, they had rented a boat, an inflatable, and then they disappeared. Well, then they got the word out there at the, at Inalco, they could see the boat coming up. And there's a picture in the book of exactly where the attack took place. And these guys 
only got to about 200 feet from the shore, and a couple of the guys went in the water with scuba gear, and the machine guns opened up, and bammo. Game over for all six of them. And what they did with the bodies and where the bodies are even today, it's in the book. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's in the, these are things that I've been sitting on that I couldn't say to anybody. Uh, and Hitler was unhappy that they didn't tell him about this thing before. He woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning hearing the machine guns going off. And uh, there's also in the, uh, entries in the in the book in the diary which we put into our into this book um, about visitors. Argentina, until recently, the the, the uh, uh, what the heck uh, constitution of Argentina up until recently said only only immigrants from Western Europe would be allowed and that started back in 2000 no in 1905 they were giving out huge tracts of lands to western europeans primarily germans but also some italians which is why the germans were able to just slide right into argentina after the war that's in my second uh my first book is hitler in argentina the documented proof that hitler escaped you know, people ask me, uh, "Do you really think he escaped to Argentina?" I tell them, "No, I don't think it. I know it. The FBI knew it. We got tons of FBI files." So the second book in that Hitler Escape series is called "Hitler and the Secret Alliance." It explains how it was so easy for all these Germans to slide in, and Juan Perón was making a fortune protecting them. So anyhow, um, the the people coming to visit Hitler were very wealthy Germans who had moved there after the war or their family had moved there before the war and they had tons of money. Most of the banks in Buenos Aires were German banks, Banco, Transatlantico, Aleman, etc. So he was having uh, receptions. And there was another, I forget what it was, there was another time he had to fly someplace uh, on his birthday for a major honor. We've got photos in the book of Hitler's birthday celebrations in South America. And they would celebrate 20th of April every year all the way up at least until 1995, 50 years after the war ended, until... Sam Donaldson, that guy with the plastic hairdo, uh, he always looked like his hair was fiberglass. He went down there and he found Hauptsturmfuhrer Spriebke, and that's when they all went quiet. They were still having the birthday celebrations and other celebrations with the swastika flag until most of the old guys died. We got pictures in the book. Amazing. We're live with Harry Cooper, SharkHunters.com, just joining us. Uh, we're going to continue talking about this book, but uh, what is the book uh, called again, and where can people get a copy of this? Okay, this book is called Hidden Secrets of World War II, and this is Volume 5. You go to SharkHunters.com, 
and in the upper right corner, in the upper menu, it says shop. And inside that menu, it says books. You click on books. All our books are there. (laughs) Incidentally, a little warning. When you go to sharkhunters.com, immediately the website of the spitlickers, as we call them, the Southern Poverty Law Center, will pop up. And they say that I'm a neo-Nazi. That's an out-and-out lie. And I've dared the spitlickers to sue me over calling them liars on this point. And they they don't sue me. I'm not now, nor have I ever been a liar, or a Nazi, I mean. Ronald Reagan was a member. Hundreds and hundreds of American combat veterans were members, Russians, Soviets. We had members from 70-something countries. They didn't know they was Nazis. So these people said, I'm a neo-Nazi, they're liars. But just pass on that and go to sharkhunters.com. You'll see all the books we have there. And anybody uh, listening, if you go to sharkhunters at sharkhunters.com, that's the email, send me an email, said you heard the uh, show here, and I'll send you electronically, I'll send you a copy of the current issue of our magazine, absolutely free. You get the magazine, Shannon. Oh, yes. Listen, it is uh, chock full of history. There's real meat in it of the Shark Hunters magazine that comes out professionally done. Um, Hidden Secrets of World War II, Volume 5. That means you've got uh, four volumes that have already been released. Um, Harry, looking at the stuff that now you've got permission to release because of uh, the time that has lapsed, and you kept your word, Uh, how many more volumes do you think you've been put out in this series? (laughs) Holy cow. You should see my office right now. It looks like an explosion in the public library. I've got piles of wow. documents and files. And, of course, a lot of it is U-boat stuff. We've got over 288,000 photos and file. Oh, man. So, yeah, i gotta, I got to stay alive for another century <laughs> to get it all done. Harry, this is amazing. Yeah, we will we'll have probably another fifteen or twenty volumes uh, in the secret uh, hidden secrets, making them as fast as I can. I'm already working on volume six and a couple other U-boat books. Um, their refueling stations. You know, people in in the United States, especially. If you know anything about World War II, you know that our submarines put out from Pearl or Midway or whatever. They go to the battle area, which is two two weeks or so away, and they have their patrols and combat sink ships and come back. But people don't realize the German boats didn't have that kind of range. They'd go out, they'd, they'd contact a convoy, and they'd be attacking the convoy then they'd have to break off and go meet uh, either a type 14 U tanker or or one of the other big boats and refuel to go back into the combat so it's it's about a 200 you know about 300 page long uh, book on uh, the refueling who refueled what from who and a lot of photos and the other one I'm working on is uh, Hmm. Oh, uh, the the lost 
photos of World War II. And like I say, we've got over a quarter million photos, and so we're putting them in books. Oh, man, this is exciting. You really I gotta have find, a, i got to find something else to do with my life. <laughs> you really have a world-class collection there of photos and other items. Yeah. Um, the best thing to do is release the information because we know the powers that be uh, like oh, yeah. to keep things concealed. I mean, look at uh, even the JFK papers. They still haven't released them all. I mean, you know, this is what right. governments like to do. And then the British, I think, uh, they have some rule, you know, uh, 70 or 80 years have to elapse before you can release. Yeah, sometimes. Some of the uh, some of the documents, it's 100 years. Some of the documents, it's never. Good grief. I mean, you know, uh, I say release and it all and let the chips fall where they may. We deserve to know the <laughs> Maybe truth. Maybe the chips are embarrassing to certain people. Well, yeah, but, you know, it's like uh, uh, RFK Jr., uh, who's running for president. I, I'm liking what I hear. He yeah. says, you know, it's 80 years. I mean, you know, it's been. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Uh, I'm a little concerned, he says, he's going to tell who killed his father and his uncle. Jeez. Robert Kennedy Sr. tried that. I remember the speech. I know who killed my brother, and when I'm president, I'm going to release it. Yeah, right. Walk through the kitchen here, Bobby. Pay no attention to that guy with the gun in his hand. Wow. You know, you 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 you, you got too big of a chance. And I've had too many of my close associates uh, who were helping on the spook business, I've had too many of them die accidentally long before their time. So, Harry, you know, you gotta you gotta get this stuff out. We deserve to know the truth because otherwise, uh, you know, the same lies keep getting taught in schools. And I mean, look, okay, right. Uh, and I mean no offense against any any Indonesian government uh, entity, but <laughs> okay, uh, over here in Indonesia, okay, there was a coup back in uh, the '60s, and Sukarno was overthrown by the CIA. Oh. And they put in a guy named Suarto. Using Suarto. Now, Suarto ruled with a heavy fist. And he was basically a dictator for 30 years. And uh, even today, if you you mention uh, his son's name, Tommy Suarto, uh, people, they're like, they do it in whispers, like, you know, don't go there. I said, what? What's the deal? These people aren't even in power now. Because they remember a time where you could be disappeared. And people regularly were. Uh, oh, God, you, yes. You said anything against that government, they could take you and you'd never be seen again. So, you know, people just, uh, right. they went with the flow, but uh, they didn't want to disappear. But uh, there's a narrative that's still taught in the schools today. And there's a false history, uh, which is pro Suarto, and it says he came in and they overthrew the communists. Well, there's been some real documentaries that have been made <laughs> in recent years Yeah, uh, where the truth came out that American State Department sent a list of over 10,000 people that they wanted the military to round up and basically execute. And, uh, I mean, it, it's come yeah. out. And uh, there was, even here on the island of Bali and then another place in Sumatra, Hundreds of thousands of people, up to an estimated 1.2 million, 
were disappeared. And the way they did Ouch. it is they grabbed you out of your home. Someone accused you of being a communist. And uh, yeah. they brutalized <laughs> you before you died. They would choke you to death, cut off your balls. They were chopping breasts off of women, disemboweling people, and uh, wow. chopping their heads off and throwing <clears throat> them into the rivers or mass graves. There are yeah. said to be here on the island of Bali mass graves all over. You might be eating in a restaurant. It's on a mass grave. Uh, and uh, all you had to do was accuse somebody of being a communist. That was enough for the military or the uh, the locals. Uh, I don't know what you would call them, paramilitary. And they were just grabbing people and executing them. And if you were Chinese, you would be executed. Yep. I ran into a lady one time a few years ago at uh, immigration, and she said uh, she remembers as uh, a little girl told, don't dare speak Chinese because that will give us give our family away, and they would have executed her and her family. <laughs> and um, That's the end of the ball game. Where I'm going with this story is there's still this... Um, these lies told about history that didn't happen at all yeah to paint swarto in a uh, a positive light there's a story about these generals that were murdered five generals and uh, my wife remembers it there's uh, the, these documentary films they showed to the students or they did and uh and i showed my wife uh these uh, two documentaries that were made by a guy named herzog uh back about 10 years back and uh, there was a big public outcry, and eventually the Indonesian government had to apologize and admit that, yeah, there was a lot of people that were tortured and murdered. And the sad part is America yeah. had a part in it. And, uh, you know, we've had a part in a lot of atrocities. Well, if the truth didn't come out, they would just keep perpetuating no, not, this lie. Yeah, not us. We wore the white hats. We was the good guys. Just like we do in America. So I'm not singling out Indonesia, but this was just something that was close to home here. And I, I, yeah, my wife had her parents in here a couple months back to visit us. And uh, I'm glad that they did because uh, that was the last time I saw my father in law. Well, he was forced to take the COVID Mm. shot, and we believe that is what caused him to uh, have a stroke. Right now, he can't talk. Yeah. He can't move except for his arm. And uh, withstanding yeah. a miracle, uh, his future is not looking bright. No, and he was no, here, and I showed him the film, and him and his wife had never heard the truth. They they have been fed the same line for decades. Uh, lies yeah. and propaganda. And I said, what do you think of this? In this film, there's a guy that goes back and he's trying to find answers on why his brother was taken and murdered, along with a million other people. And he goes, and this is back around 2000 or so, 20 years back, and he finds guys that were involved back then in the youth in the early 20s that are still active today, some of them in government Mm -hmm. politics, and got them to admit on camera what they did. So, Oh, boy. Um and some even bragged about it and even demonstrated how they went about uh, murdering people. Now, I said that to say this. This oh, is just geez. Indonesia that I'm talking about. We've all got stories like that of things that were done by these dictators. You know, if it was Pol Pot and uh, or if it was, um, you know, uh, these dictators, Idi Amin and 
We've, got, we've had dictators all over the world that have done horrible things. Uh, Papa Doc Duvalier. Right. And uh, we need to know the true story. What these people did. So we try to get some understanding. But if we don't get access to the facts, then, you know, to the victor goes the ability to write history, right? And, oh, uh, God, not only write history, but write ex post facto rules about what is a war criminal today it's it's okay today it's okay but five years from now what you did today is suddenly illegal if there's a war you know uh, and you you mentioned suharto uh being overthrown or overthrowing that's in this yeah. book oh really not yeah uh yeah not in great depth but there's lists of all the CIA-backed coups, and there are a shitload of them. And I, I remember my first couple times in Argentina. There, the place is loaded with Ford Falcons because they were making them in Brazil. Oh wow! Uh, the in the 1960s, yeah. And my friend said the 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 most terrifying thing back year in the 70s, I think, was the Falcon Verde the green Ford Falcon because that's what the secret police were using and he showed me the prison out in the Pampas which is now abandoned. People would go in and they'd never be seen again. Dina. There's a place in in Chile oh yeah you don't think uh, Bali is the only place. There's a place in Chile that was called Colonia Dignidad. Oh yes. It's now yeah, now it's something nicer because, but it was formed by three hundred SS uh, veterans. Now these are SS is not bad guys. These are the combat fighters, the the Green Berets of the day. Uh, but it was closed; you couldn't get in. Period. They had heavy weapons. They had machine guns. They even had a tank, I believe. <clears throat> and when Pinochet decided to overthrow Allende. A lot of people from Chile who were Allende supporters were brought into Colonia Dignidad and nobody ever saw them again. In the 1970s, I think it was in Buenos Aires, so many people were disappearing. So in the big plaza in front of the Casa Rosada, the pink house, which is their seat of government, the mothers would be marching in big circles wanting to know where their sons were and today they've got a a big circle painted there and about every five or ten feet they've got a picture of a diaper or something else that pertains to a child wow reminiscing all those people that disappeared and it ain't just there uh austria in when was it 1998 something like that the strong man there was a guy named Jörg Haider who was a good friend of mine <clears throat> and he was running for re-election and he had posters all over the place in German saying Austria for the Austrians kick out the illegal immigrants well he had a car crash and we have all the evidence I shouldn't say this but he was he was clipped and so then one of his uh, one of his associates was a skydiver I think I would find another hobby 
uh, and he was with a club. They all got on this airplane, all threw their parachutes over, uh, and got up into the air, got to where everybody everybody just grabbed a parachute. They all bailed out, and here this buddy of his is floating down nicely on his parachute, and some other guy that got his parachute went by him in what they call a Roman candle. Uh-oh. The chute didn't open. It just streamed out. Yeah, bang, oh, splat. So this guy has got to be the dumbest thing in the world. He goes skydiving again the next week. This time he got his own parachute. Same thing. Uh-oh. Roman candle. Splat. Yep. They said oh. he looked like a starfish. Oh, man. So, and and my best researcher, you've seen the name a million times in our magazine, Pizarro. Yes, sir. He, yeah, he was my best source because he had started something called the Alpha Task Force. A lot of agents, spies, researchers put all this information together, which he gave to me. And that's about six, seven years ago, I guess it was. He was a big man, late 50s, early 60s, about six foot two, built like a football linebacker. And he bumped into a table or something, got a bruise on his leg. Okay, went to the hospital. Oh, no, 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 you got to be admitted. So I brought him in. Bingo, he's dead two days later. Oh, sorry, he had sepsis, killed him. Whoa. Uh, come on. Yeah. Absolutely. And You never know. The point I'm making here is if people like you who have um, the true story don't release it, and I'm thankful that you are releasing it, you know what? Uh, the information could be suppressed and, and we'll never know the truth. That's why you've got to release everything you've got, Harry, because... Yeah. Um, Otherwise, uh, it could be lost again, and who knows when it would be ever, if ever, would be uncovered. Uh, by the way, well, it, uh, it probably wouldn't be. I'm sorry to interrupt, but so much of the stuff I got is from the guys who lived through the war. I have another series of books called U-Boat, uh, Memories of the War by the Men Who Lived It, and every chapter is a separate, standalone memory of a different U-Boat guy. I got 17 volumes out already and enough to put another 17 volumes out. Unfortunately, you only get 24 hours in a day. I was up this morning at 3 in the morning at my desk at 4. Wow. Been going ever since. Yeah, and I'll be going till 8 o'clock tonight. And, hey, kidding aside, and I don't mean to be sappy, I mean this seriously. God has built me out of good parts, thank God. And uh, I'm still in, in really great shape, thank God. And, uh, what, two weeks from now, I think it is? Five weeks. I'll be 84 years old. I'm, I still got another 25 years to go. But I can't get more than 24 hours in a day. Well, I'm shooting for 120, so I'll believe that for you, too. we got some work to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Should Jesus Amen. Christ tarry. we got some well, work to yeah, do. Yeah, I, I just... I just I decided I was going to be 110, and that was years ago. Uh, there was a, a very famous U-boat commander by the name of Herbert Werner. He wrote that book called Iron Coffins, which is an awesome book. Um, he wanted to get onto Kings Bay Navy Base, sub-base, and look at the big boomer boats because he was an uh, an American citizen by then, ultra, ultra wealthy, but he couldn't get on the base by himself because he was not a 
native-born American. So I got him on the base. We toured all through there. And uh, he he was going to build 1,200-foot-long tanker submarines to go from the north slope on Alaska and bring the oil around to New Jersey ports because all the oil from the north slope is still going to Japan. Really? So he was going to do that. But, you know, suddenly he just uh, he just died. Oh, man. Um, and Iron Coffin Book. I remember a few years ago you had one or maybe two copies that were signed by him up for sale. Do you still have those? Did you ever sell those? What happened to them? Just curious. Uh, oh, they got sold. Yeah, sure. What a shame. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately <laughs> now, guys like Herbert Werner, Otto Kretschmer, Erich Top, and, and Gene Flucky from the American side, all these guys, they gave me their memories, and yes. we're putting them into the book. But prior to Obama, uh, Shark Hunters was paying its own way. I had a, uh, My wife and I are working. I had a full-time uh, gal and I had two part timers and they were doing a lot of the administrative stuff so I could write now after Obama and especially now with this clown in the White House who fell asleep during his conversation with Israel's Prime Minister the other day uh, I, I don't have anybody working for me it's just me and my wife we've got a lot of stringers nobody gets paid I don't get paid as a matter of fact, every month they put one or two thousand dollars from my retirement back into shark hunters. Uh, we're not in any danger of folding up, but I'd be a lot happier if I had my own money to spend on me and my family. But I, I believe this is why God put me here, and I'm going to do it. But when I, my point, I'm sorry, I got a, wandered. When I was with Herbert Werner. Uh, at Kings Bay we got to talking I don't know what and, and I said I was 55 years old at the time I said I'm only middle age he said middle age you think you're going to live to 110 I said oh absolutely he said well I'm I'm middle age I said you're 75 you're going to make it to 150 well he didn't make it past 95 so but I, I told him I'd, I'd be looking at him on my 110th birthday Wow. And barring anything unforeseen, I'll be there. Now, Harry, we're talking about tonight the most recent volume, Hidden Secrets yep. of World War II, Volume 5. Uh, tell us some more secrets that uh, are being disclosed yeah. in this book. Okay. Here's one that is uh, going to make uh, every American uh, kind of sick and ashamed of some of the people. Uh there were about a dozen or so German prisoners who were executed way after the war for nothing and then buried face down in unconsecrated land. Wow. This was well after the war was over. Yeah, and the uh, I guess one of the intelligence people put a German veteran into a prisoner of war camp who and he was a snitch and I was in the military and you take an oath 
and one of the parts of the oath, if there's if you're in a POW camp, you only give away your name, rank, and serial number. And also, if there's a snitch, you got to kill him. So this guy was a snitch, and we're talking September or so after the war was over. They're in this POW camp in the U.S., and they found out this guy was a snitch, and they killed him. So then they were interrogated, right? Uh, at least one guy, <clears throat> hands tied, of course, had a gas mask put on his face, and it was packed with diced onions and chopped garlic. <laughs> he what finally had to confess to the killing. <laughs> Whether he did it or not, I don't know. And another guy stripped him naked, hands tied, of course, and lowered him down on a hot radiator with his balls dangling on it. So these guys, I think it was 12 people, were convicted kangaroo court because the Germans couldn't retaliate. War had been over. They were all out of business. So they hanged these guys at Fort Leavenworth. Not the normal way. They just tie a rope around their neck and the other end of something solid and shove them into an empty elevator shaft. And that's how they were killed. Good and then grief. they were buried face down, which is not Christian, and in unconsecrated land. So I started, and and I love I love a combat. Uh, I started working with the U-boat guys. Uh, Captain Diggins was president of the German U-boaters association, and so I went up the chain and found. Uh, some American government agent, which means he's a, he's a brain-dead clown. And I said, we want to get these guys either buried properly or, according to the U-boaters, cremated and have their ashes scattered at sea. And he comes back, well, they were found guilty. And I said, we're not trying to change that. We just don't want them buried face down. He said, well, the German government's okay with it. I said, yeah, World War what? Adolf who? They don't want no part of it. So I was just really ready to cross swords with this clown because at that time, Ronald Reagan was still a member, but he was no longer president. Uh, I was ready to cross swords with this clown, but unfortunately, uh, Captain Diggins died. And so all of a sudden, it looked like some malcontent American uh, trying to get in their way, so uh, we had to back off. These poor guys are still buried face down in unconsecrated ground, and it's it's a, it's an American shame, just shame. Tell me more. What else can we find in Volume Five? Okay, uh, what is Zerum five twenty five spelled X E R U M Zerum. You don't know because not many people do. There's a. Oh, shut up, damn it. I've never heard of Zero 525. Right. And it was used in Deglaka. Most people don't know what that is either. That, you the know bell? it better as the so called Nazi bell. And, and the bell was like, what, eight, nine feet high and two contra rotating cylinders inside. And allegedly, it was supposed to bend time, which is uh, the the Philadelphia experiment. Well, you get 
two counter-rotating cylinders, you got to lubricate them. So this stuff, Zerum 525, was kind of like a mercury colloidal suspension. So we go into that in this in this book. Uh, operating German Navy bases. <laughs> Germany, well, the country of Germany never surrendered. Most people are surprised to hear that. The generals surrendered the German military. But the uh, leadership of the German party, the, the German country, did not surrender. By the same token, the South never surrendered. General Lee surrendered the Army of the North or something like that. But Germany never surrendered. So, <coughs> sorry, they still had bases the last known operating German Navy base was down in the Tierra del Fuego. Here I'm picking my words again. There's pictures of it in there. It was operating at least, we know, until 1952. The war ended in 45. That's still going in 1952. German U-boats sunk in Argentine waters. We know there were some. And the one that Don Angel Alcazar de Velasco rode down there with Borman on board was scuttled in Argentine waters. We don't know where, but we have a rough guess. So it was scuttled. Uh, there are, we've got aerial pictures of two underwater in shallow water. <clears throat> but remember, most of Argentina is really desolate. Um, there was an incident in 1960, and I remember it well because I was in the Air Force at the time. There's a small uh, bay, uh, Golfo Nuevo, inside, um, I think it's inside Golfo San Matias. It's a small, uh, it comes off the same landmass. The entrance is only about six or seven miles wide. It's about 30 miles, I guess, in diameter, and the water is only about 300 feet deep. It's a paradise for anti-submarine guys. Well, one day, they spotted a submarine, and they ordered it to get out, etc., and the submarine pulled the plug and dived, and uh, this uh, Argentine ASW ship went after it. And they couldn't get it. And then suddenly they find there were at least two of these submarines in there. And I've seen drawings. They won't release the pictures, but I've seen drawings. And it's a, a Type 21 German U-boat. So, and the reason I got aware of it is because the U.S. Navy sent down some of the best anti-submarine people we had with some of the best anti-submarine detection equipment and some of the new 600-pound Torpex torpedo or uh, depth charges. And we was going to smack that intruder, which they thought at first was a Russian. And even the U.S. Navy couldn't get them. And that's where, you know, the inter-service rival, you know, we're laughing. We're the Air Force. We could have got it, etc. But this was in 1960. So I've I've got a letter in to the commanding admiral of the Argentine Navy asking him if I could at least look at the photos. The photos are locked up again. 
<clears throat> who cares? 1960 was a long time ago. Why not release them? Right. Well, they, they ain't releasing them. So, uh, because and then, of the stigma the associated the war, with maybe being uh, pro-Hitler during those times? Is it because of the stigma that they may perceive right. uh, being associated with, uh, yeah, being being a friendly of Germany during World War Two? Yeah, exactly. And they were very friendly with Germany prior to the war, right? During the war, and even afterwards, quietly. We've got photos of German troops training German equipment, but they ain't Germans. They're Argentine. And all this German equipment went down to Argentina, and uh, they were training the Argentine military. So, uh, this there's another thing I want to see too. I've got a, 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 a request in to the captain in command of that base. When I went down there in 2008, I went to uh, also Mar del Plata, which is their big navy base just south of Buenos Aires, and. Uh, that's where two German submarines surrendered after the war. The war ended on May the 8th, officially, and U-530 surrendered in late July, and U-977 surrendered in early August. History says all the paperwork on board was jettisoned, thrown overboard, all the ID cards from all the sailors, everything was, there was not a scrap of paper on board, either of those submarines at all, period. Well, when I was down there in 2008, and there's pictures in in this book, Volume 5, pictures of the storage boxes with all the paperwork that wasn't on these submarines. Wow. So they told me at the time I could come back and make copies, but I'm still having trouble getting uh, a permission. Now, Mar de Plata is where um, the uh, the naval base down there had some of the, uh, like it had uh, one of the birds, the eagles, from World War II with the Nazi symbol on it. You know what I'm talking about? Um yeah, but I I think you're mixing that with something else. That was on the uh, Panzerschiff Graf Spee. Oh, that's it. Yes. And that was, uh, yeah, that that was scuttled uh, in the Rio de la Plata, not Mar del Plata. Okay. Rio de la Plata. Yes, that's it. The river. And when I was there about eight years ago or so, this is in Uruguay, uh, my uh, guide, which was Martin then my translator we went to the headquarters of the Uruguay Navy because they got all sorts of artifacts that they took off the Graf's Bay that's what I'm so we asked could we look yeah we looked at it can we look at it uh, all this stuff photograph oh no absolutely not nope nope so I showed him my my Coast Guard credentials I was a flotilla commander with the Coast Guard Auxiliary oh yes welcome welcome so we saw all the range finders the guns the smaller guns etc and so we asked where's the eagle (laughs) oh no no that eagle is in a special building with an armed guard and of course there's a wrapping blanket wrapping whatever around a swastika because if you see a swastika, your brain will melt. So we tried, 
we even talked to one of their uh, versions of their Navy SEALs. Yes. Asked him if he could get us in. Absolutely not. Nobody can get in there and see it. Every once in a while, they come up with, you know, most of the time it stays quiet. We've got a picture of it with the actual swastika not covered. But every once in a while, it'll come to the fore again. Uh, the the Jewish community wants it melted down and cast into a dove of peace. Uh, collectors want to buy it. Historians don't want to see it destroyed. So they come up, they're going to auction it off. And half the money, remember, this was some poor, not poor, some wealthy guy who funded the excavation and brought up all the artifacts. He hasn't gotten paid back. So the deal is, every so often it comes up and the government says they will auction that eagle and half the money goes to the guy who did the expedition and the other half goes to the Uruguayan Navy. Now I mentioned okay, that. Okay, that's a great idea. Say again? I mentioned that because um, you think the reason the uh, the Uruguayan government there is trying to hide this is they want to conceal the fact that uh, there were U-boats that actually made it over to places like Uruguay and Argentina, as you mentioned. Uh, they want to try to blot out the history, un- right? Yeah, it's highly un- unlikely, in my opinion, that Uruguay would be involved in a cover-up like that because Uruguay was very pro-British. Uh, all the rest of the South American countries were pro-Germany. So I don't think that's the case. I think they're just caught between a rock and a hard place. If they sell it, they got the the liberals all mad at them. If they melt it, you got the conservatives all mad and and the historians. So there's they're they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, once it's melted down, history is gone forever. Cast it into a piece of that bullshit. Come on, what happened happened. You ain't going to change it. Um and selling it to a private collector, people are going to say that's terrible. We should show it in public. Other people are going to say, if, you know, the guy can do whatever he wants with his own money if, if he wants to buy it. And, and the historians are saying, put it in a museum. And the Jewish community is saying, destroy it. So I think the Uruguayan government is stuck. Whatever they do, they're in trouble. You know, I hate when we're lied to. And uh, what I love about your series that yeah. you're doing is you're exposing the lies by releasing the truth. Hidden secrets yeah. from World War II, uh, here he's up to Volume 5, uh, many exciting things here. Now, okay, there's a movie that has just been released. Uh, I think it's already in the theaters in America. It just came out over here this week. It's called Oppenheimer. It's a three-hour movie. Yeah, it's in the theaters. And it's supposed to tell the true story of uh, the creation of the atom bomb that led up to the uh, when America bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, I said that right, didn't I? Not Hiroshima. You Hiroshima. did. Uh, no, I, w- I would have jumped in. You got it right. Hiroshima. This Hiroshima is a concoction of the liberals. Now I haven't seen this movie yet, but I'm going to assume in there they don't tell the true story of where we got much of our enriched uranium is it true harry according to your research that uh, the nazis uh were already testing uh, atomic bombs and i think had basically uh 
uh, detonated one of them. I don't know what the yield was. Um, yeah, on the island of Rugen. And then, uh, essentially, they were going to have uh, atom bombs, and there was already a plan to build a long-range bomber to take one of these and drop it over Manhattan. But we know the war ends, and there's some enriched uranium that's given to America on a submarine, a U-boat. Is this true? What can you tell me about that? Yeah, uh, the submarine was number U-234. It was a Type 10B mine layer that had been converted into cargo carrying. Uh, It was in the North Atlantic when the surrender order came, and they had their choice of which one of the four allies uh, they could surrender to, and they decided they'd be treated best by the U.S., so they came into Portsmouth, and immediately there was a security curtain put up around the submarine to where you couldn't look in because they knew what was on it because uh, USS Sutton intercepted that uh, submarine 800 miles out and was escorting it in. And Where is um, Portsmouth? Is, is that Virginia Beach, Virginia? Where's that at? No, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay. Now, uh, let me back up a second. So we're saying U-boat 234 had enriched uranium on there and other cargo, and it was headed to Japan when it was intercepted? Did I hear you right? Yep. Yeah, that's correct. When the war ended, they uh, they decided to come to the U.S. and surrender. They had two Japanese uh, naval officers with the rank of Capitaine Lieutenant, which is like a lieutenant commander. They were experts. One was torpedo expert. I forget the other guy's uh, expertise, but uh, the war was still going on with Japan, and the captain, Captain Failer, uh, told them they were going to surrender in the U.S., and that would be uh, disgraceful to them, so they committed suicide. Not by cutting their guts out with the old harakiri. They just took uh, large quantities of luminol, which is phenobarbital, and died very painfully. They were buried at sea. They were not, you know, there's some rumors they were just dumped overboard. No, they were buried at sea with full honors, and then uh, Captain Failer notified the U.S. they were coming in, and uh, it had oh, it had a lot of stuff on it. It had <clears throat> the a lieutenant general of the Luftwaffe with his staff. They were going to set up more headquarters in Tokyo. They had a navy judge on board. He was going to try the traitors that the Japanese had grabbed for them, but by then the the Japanese had executed them anyhow they had an ME-262 jet fighter in crates with all the technological data for the uh, uh, Japanese to go into construction Uh, they had 560 kilos of uranium which is listed on a manifest as uranium oxide but it was contained in stainless steel flasks that were gold lined and you wouldn't take that kind of precaution with yellow cake. And so evidence points to the fact that it's it was enriched. Now, now where did it go? Okay, where did it go? Good question. Um, maybe it's in your basement there at Bali because nobody seems to know. Everybody believes that it was used in the Hiroshima bomb, and I agree. I think that's exactly what happened. But you cannot even go with a FOIA 
request to get the paperwork because there's no paper left. It was all done verbally or the paperwork has disappeared or whatever. There's no trace whatsoever, but we are reasonably I'm damn sure now, that it was dropped on Hiroshima. Okay, this is very important for a couple of reasons. Because we're being fed one narrative, and I assume that's what they're coming out in this Oppenheimer film, to more solidify the uh, the myth that America uh, engineered the first atomic bomb, and then we used it to drop on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and end the war. <laughs> but the fact is, yeah. that has come out, because we know the truth, is that the Germans created the first jet fighter that was actually in operation yep. at the end of the war, the ME-262, right? Is that the name of it? That's correct. And That's correct. Also, the Heinkel uh, HE-162 was also in operation, but not nothing like the ME-262. They were that was the JV-44, the Squadron of Experts, uh, led by Adolf Galland, who was uh, uh, a member of Shark Hunters. Several of those pilots were members. I mean, we and had switching back to the. Uh, I'm sorry, switching back to the submarine. U-234, the skipper, was a member of Shark Hunters. I spent a, a day with him in his home. Oh, really? 1988. The, yeah, the, uh, I'd ask him about the uh, uranium. Oh, he was, he was open. He was a fun guy, perfect English, and he answered everything. But when I asked him about the uranium, he said, uh, chemistry was my weakest class in university so I don't know you must ask the cargo officer so the cargo officer was also a member of shark hunters Whoa! and I asked him yeah he says well I really don't know what's in these boxes I just need to know how heavy they are and what their size is so I can trim the boat (laughs) and the chief radio operator gave me most of my information he was a member of shark hunters also so it, these guys gave me their information, and, and it doesn't get any better than first person. Now, this, these, this is the captain of the U-boat and a radio officer, right? Yeah. On U-boat 234. Yep. And uh, it was carrying yep. uh, enriched uranium, uh, a disassembled so. jet fighter, which is uh, what we're yep. going to need if we're going to uh, figure out how they make the jet engine and create our own, just like the Chinese um, they have also captured uh, aircraft and uh, plans and patents. We know that, and then they reproduce carbon copies. Um, yeah, they re, re, uh, reverse engineering. I was over there. I saw a lot of them. Now, where's the story? B fifty one, B twenty nine that they rebuilt. Where's the story though that somebody saw Oppenheimer right there at the dock? He was on board U two thirty four. I mean, that's. That's fact. That's history. He went on board U-234. Okay. We have photos of, of the Navy going through it. Okay. So, folks, uh, if you're going to make a bomb, you're going to need enriched uranium. Now, if we go back a little bit in history, yeah. you have to ask the question, because it's historical fact. Why were the Germans um, over in places like Telemark, Norway, I think it was, and other locations, <laughs> yeah. um, dealing with... A heavy water development, which is uh, part of enriched deuterium. uranium, right? Deuterium. Deuterium, yeah. It's it's, uh, it's part of the nuclear weapon. What are you going to use it for if not atomic bombs? So 
Germany already had the first jet engines. They were working on the atomic bomb. Uh, I know Tino Struckman in one of his uh, YouTube documentaries uh, mentioned he's been out to some locations and uh, there's eyewitnesses uh, that recorded testimony of uh, being up in like a watchtower in one of those castles and um, something was detonated out there. They believe an atomic bomb and everybody was sick with radiation sickness. And uh, yeah. So uh, Tino was uh, Tino was a member of Shark Hunters until about uh, last month. He let his membership drop. Uh, he wanted to work with us, which was fine. Uh, but his idea of working together was I supposed to show him where all these things were so that he could go underground into the tunnels. And I told him, no, if you want to go underground in the tunnels, that's fine. But I'm going too. Yeah. Uh, but no, I guess that, you know, so Wait. we haven't heard from him. Tino, if you're out there, renew your him. membership. Um, we'll talk about some of your expeditions that are planned in a moment, but to just wrap up a thing here, uh, I, I'm i going to watch Oppenheimer, and I uh, would love to see the truth come out, and I hope it's in the film, but it's probably not, that uh, without the help of the enriched uranium on board that U-234, in all likelihood, we wouldn't have had enough to create a bomb. Do you think that's right? Uh, and there's one fair? more. Well, we were just about out. Uh, our member, uh, Robert Wilcox, wrote a book called Japan's Secret War. And in that book, he said that uh, Japan was had test-fired their first weapon about a week before we test-fired our first one. They were out of uranium or fissionable material. We were almost out. And and keep in mind, too, that that was my career field in the Air Force was spec weps, nuclear and thermonuclear weapons. And I'm an old fart, so I was in right, <laughs> right after uh, the war, uh, January through June of 1958, intensive training. And the first week was seeing films of our atomic development program, and we were not doing well. Um the trouble they had was having the triggers you you got a ball of uranium about the size of a small grapefruit surrounded by 64 shaped charges made of comp B and baritol whatever and they have to go off at the exact same zillionth of a second to implode and create critical mass the guy who developed that is referenced in this book also, one of the guys on board that submarine was Dr. Heinz Schlicker, who was a world expert in physics or whatever. You remember when we detonated an atom bomb up on top of a tower called the Trinity Project? Yes. He was the, he was the guy in charge, a German scientist in charge of the Trinity Project. People Amazing. are shocked when they hear that. They're even more shocked when I tell them that the entire German rocket program personnel, etc., was picked up out of Germany and brought over here and put down in Cape Canaveral, and that was NASA. Like 800 people coming out of Germany, including the top people, all Germans. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had rockets. Well, now, am I correct? We know about the involvement in the uh, JPL and NASA and the space program. But um, am I correct that Operation Paperclip already had uh, some of the German scientists uh, down there at Los Alamos 
at the uh, end to help solve some of these problems to create the bomb? Were they active in creating the fat boy and little man? I, I don't know what their specific tasks were, but yeah, during Paperclip, God, we picked up thousands of uh, German scientists and technicians yeah. somewhere in this pile of paper here in either this one or next door. You know, I had to buy the house next door to, for the overflow, and you can't even hardly walk through it because there are boxes of books and files, etc. I've got a list of all the guys come over on, on Paperclip, hundreds of pages with their name, the address where they lived, the company they were working for in the United States, and how much money they were getting paid. i got to find that thing one of these days. Now, look, you and I are both Americans, born and bred. Yep. And You bet. I'm not being uh, anti-patriot when I, say, when I demand that the truth come out. I mean, come on, folks. Um, let's let the truth come out and let the chips fall where they may. We needed the help. Yep. Of uh, some of the top scientists in the world at the time. And they were top scientists, both yep. uh, German and Jewish. Let us not forget Einstein. But um, yep. a collaborative effort. Uh, Oppenheimer, too. And Oppenheimer. Uh, look, uh, German had, they were, they were first in many things. Even the, um, uh, the Horton brothers and the, the wing aircraft. Um, Right, the HO-529, I think it was. It wasn't Skunk Works that originated that. Alone, uh, the Horton brothers already had a design for right. it back in the 40s under uh, the head of the Luftwaffe. What was his name? Goering. That had uh, commissioned Herman, it. Herman Goering. I mean, or M- Milch, yeah. Yeah, Herman, uh, what's his name, Milch. He was Jewish. He was the guy that rebuilt the Luftwaffe. In other words, Let me step back, if I may. Yes. Um, uh, when we were down one time in Uruguay, um, uh, Martin has a nose for this, and we were in this little tiny town. It was nothing but a crossroads with a gas station and, and a little cheap old restaurant. And the guy in the gas station had a collection of German stamps. He was so proud of them. Okay, fine. And then he says, I have a friend living nearby here whose grandfather was in the Luftwaffe. Would you like to speak to him? So, Hell yes, of course we would. So we zipped over there. <clears throat> Here was this big, blue-eyed, blonde guy. Spoke excellent English, naturally Spanish, and he had a German accent. And so we're out front of his house, and we're talking, and he said, well, yeah, my grandfather was... Uh, joined the Luftwaffe and I'm thinking that's nice so did a lot of people and he says my grandfather uh, was learning to fly gliders yeah that's how they started and then he said but my grandfather and his brother decided they didn't want to fly they'd rather design he says maybe you've heard of my grandfather his name was Reimer Horton wow oh my god Reimer Horton uh, so he took us into his house. He showed us all the plans for the HO-529 and the plans for the B-2 stealth bomber and the F-117 Nighthawk fighter and the letters of appreciation from the United States Air Force because Reimer Horton helped develop the B-2 bomber and the F-117 stealth fighter. And then he says... I don't know as much about it. My father knows, but would you like to meet my father? Wow. 
is the Pope Catholic for God's sake? Yeah, so these two guys are members of Shark Hunters, and we're getting information from them too. Nobody has this kind of information. Nobody. So the stealth bomber that we saw revealed back now in I, I, like 85 that was used to go over there and bomb Gaddafi's family, they didn't get him, but they got his family, yep. some members. Um, that technology... Well, those, 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 were F1, those were F-111s. Okay. Uh, but the B-2 bomber was bombing Saddam Hussein and his guys. Okay. And back in the 40s, uh, they already had a wing design. It was made out of... Uh, uh, Wood and uh, some other materials, well, and um, you could right. say it was even radar resistant. What do you call that? Oh, stealth. Yeah. It, stealth was, it was a stealth bomber. It was a twin jet engine flying wing that was a stealth bomber. Now, you would see with your own eyes uh, a German stealth bomber over in where? Did you see one in Argentina pop up at an airport? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also have a photo of one flying over the uh, 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 the rainforest down there. But yeah, when I was down there, one of my trips, I think it was about eight, ten years ago, we toured the headquarters of the uh, Argentine Air Force. Very nice man there who was their historian. He gave me a ton of stuff, uh, including a, a DVD. Of their airplane. Okay, so I plug it in and I'm watching it, and it's a deal where they had a, had a camera on the roof of a hangar, and one by one they would taxi the different types of airplanes past this camera. And I'm watching, and all of a sudden I see a stealth bomber, a flying wing, a Horton flying wing. I said, What the hell's going on? So I call him, he says, Oh, yeah, the Horton, uh, Horton is down here designing planes for us, too. Now, was and that created? Oh, holy cow. Uh, created post-World War II. So was this an old original one from like uh, the early 50s? How old do you think this plane was that you were looking at? It was in the in the mid-50s, but this one was not a bomber. This one was a cargo plane. It looked like, it looked like an early Winnebago camper hung underneath a gigantic boomerang. Wow. I still got the video. Yeah, it, it just, what the heck? So this but, supports and and the uh, guy this supports the guy the, who designed Germany's best fighter. Say again. Uh, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, we got a delay here. So okay. the guy who designed Germany's best fighter, the Focke Wolf FW one ninety, that was Professor Kurt Tank. He left and went down to Argentina with fifty aeronautical engineers and was building designing and building aircraft for South American air forces and of course you know everybody says Nazi war criminal you know they come on they were not there was um, uh, where the hell something came out and uh, and one of these guys that one spam he was training uh, uh, pilots for the Argentine Air Force correct fresh out of the Luftwaffe stand by folks we just lost it. Okay, hold on a minute, folks. Trying to reconnect. Okay, hold on a minute. Let's get him back here. Okay, um, let's try it again.
we're back. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, one of the this, uh, this, top pilots of the Luftwaffe, uh, he escaped at the end of the war and made it over to Argentina, and then they hired him to start training pilots over there, didn't they? He didn't escape. He wasn't wanted. Huh. There were three of them went down there. Yeah, you know, people think. Uh, German, must be a Nazi, must be hunted war criminal. No, there were three of them. Adolf Galland, who was a member of Shark Hunters. Um, uh, what the hell was he? Well, the other guy was the, probably the greatest pilot ever, Hans Ulrich Rudel. The, he was so good they had to design a new medal for him. Uh, the Knight's Cross, um, the Grand Knight's Cross in gold with oak leaf, Swords and diamonds. There were only one made, and that was for Hans Ulrich Rudel. He was a dive bomber pilot. He sank a battleship, a cruiser, God knows how many small ships, destroyed well over 500 Russian tanks and empty gazillion trucks. Yeah, so he went there. And the third one, I keep forgetting his name. He was um, commander of... Kampfgeschwader 200, which was the the spook operation with all the trick planes and stuff. So the three of them went down to Argentina to train their pilots. And uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, he was training some pilots on a captured um, British Lancaster bomber. And they crashed into the Mar del Plata, and he couldn't get out of the plane, and he and he drowned. So these guys... But the other guys... They dispersed yeah. at the end of the war to places like Argentina, America sure. hired many, Russia got yeah. some, and uh, you know yep. many far-flung places. And uh, work continued. I've got a reveal to make here on this program. Exactly. And I have maybe mentioned it one time, but uh, you're familiar with Werner von Braun, the pioneer in rocket rocket technology, yep. who was hired by NASA. <laughs> I'm I'm looking right here on the floor of his uh, of the uh, manuscript for his book, uh, the trip to Mars. Well, he he and I are kinfolk. Uh, it just so happens that he's my eleventh really? cousin, three times removed. Eleventh cousin. <laughs> that's way that's a way back. Uh, I'm looking at the family tree right now. We had the same grandparents back in the 1500s. Now. This FamilySearch.org, where you put in your genealogy, I've been working on it for over 20 years, maybe 25. Years ago, I, when I was a young guy at like 20, in my early 20s, I had a friend uh, who showed me this family tree research he had done. I mean, it was massive. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm uh, putting all that I have down so I can give it to my uh, daughter and grandkids so they know where we came from. And I said, man, I'd like to know right. where I came from. i got nothing really to work with. So he inspired me to start from scratch, and from scratch I literally started. All I had on my dad's side, Harry, was the initials of my great-grandfather. His name was R.W. Davis. And I said, how can we just have the first, the initials? Well, the problem is, when I got started up, my grandfather was dead, and the only one remaining was the patriarch, was my father, and dad didn't know a lot. And uh, they gave me some information, but it's like on the Davis side, my dad's side, you know, they didn't really care. A lot of people take things for granted. Oh, well, you know, we'll always yeah. be around. We can look at it next year. And then people die off, and, you know, you lose valuable 
information. Nobody knows. They right. died with it. That's why you're releasing when, this information. When they die, they take it with them. That's right. You've got information now that you're able to release that are going to tell uh, more of the picture so we know really what happened in history. That's why I love your books. But uh, make a long story longer. Uh, six <laughs> months ago, I got this weird text on my phone from FamilySearch.org. That's the largest genealogical database in the world. It's operated by the Mormon Church. Because if you're a Mormon, oh yeah, you're required to track your history back at least four generations, and they want you to have two or three years' supply of food on hand. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm not a Mormon, but I don't have any problem using their database uh, because they make it available for free. Unlike Ancestry.com, they charge twenty bucks a month. Well, holy cow! I got this text. It said, uh, "Did you know that you're kin to Elvis Presley?" I said, this has got to be some scam. Oh, my goodness. I said, what do you mean, Elvis Presley? And lo and behold, I pull him up, and it shows me his tree against mine. Elvis Presley is my seventh cousin once removed. I'm kin through his mother, Gladys. <laughs> and then over on my, uh, the Weber side, my mom's side. Well, he's my seventh cousin. I don't know if that'll get me a, a free night to stay over there in Elvis's room at Graceland. I'm just saying, you know, I could pop up and say <laughs> he was my seventh cousin. But among many strange connections, one of them that I saw was Werner von Braun, Werner von Braun. He's my eleventh cousin, three times removed. And um, yeah, now it gets he was really... the uh, top scientist there. He was not in charge like people think he was in charge of NASA. He was not. That was Kurt Debus, Doctor Kurt Debus. But Werner von Braun. And his first name was not Werner; it was Wernher. Wernher. Uh, but he was their chief scientist. Yeah. Because you pronounce a W. W e r n h e r r as a V, and then V is pronounced as a W. Is that right? Like Vol- Volkswagen? How does that work? Right. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, Volkswagen. Uh, the VW is pronounced VV. But Werner von Braun, his first name Werner, is not W e r n e r. It's W e r n h e r r. Wernher. So. Another interesting thing before I jump back to what we're, our discussion tonight is, uh, Werner, not only uh, was he brought over during Operation Paperclip as my 11th cousin, by the way, um, I looked up some months ago, where is he born? Where is his grave? And lo and behold, he's buried in a cemetery over in Alexandria, Virginia, northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. Where I lived for about mm-hmm. ten years, and my grandfather pastored a church. He's buried up about a, two blocks from where I lived for many years. If I'd have known it, I would have went over there and looked <laughs> at his grave. He's sitting over there in yeah. a cemetery up off King Street, Alexandria, Virginia. I mean, what a small world it is. Now, uh, I've only yeah. got partial family tree information, but I put in everything I had, and uh, with what I had, it also said you are kin to twenty-eight of the 46 American presidents. Now, how is that possible? I don't even know, but I begin to look, and it's there. There may be more. I mean, how, if I told you I was kin to George Washington, you say, hey, that's pretty cool. But if I tell you that I'm kin to 28, how many presidents we had? What is Biden? Is he 47? <laughs> I mean, how is that possible? Don't ask me. Well, but, if you want to consider him a president, yeah, he'd be 46. Now, unless we're part Nephilim, we're all related if we go back far enough to Adam and Eve, you know, uh, Noah, at least Noah, you know, and his three sons. But 
it's just kind of bizarre. But anyway, yeah, my um, claim to fame or infamy is, yeah, I can say I'm uh, related to um, Werner von Braun. Well, listen, you know, let's give credit where credit is due. The Germans were brilliant scientists, and uh, they were already working on the bomb. We got their enriched uranium in all likelihood to complete the project that we needed for the fuel for that bomb, and, um, you know... We brought over their best The Hiroshima bomb, yeah. Yeah. Because the Nagasaki bomb was uh, not uranium, it was plutonium. Now, um, I want to ask you about your upcoming trips, and we'll close out here in a minute, but uh, where can people go to get a copy of Hidden Secrets of World War II, Volumes 1 through 5? How do they order that? Uh, Go to sharkhunters.com, shop, books, and it's there. Uh, Do you have it available in hard copy? online. Or, or, I'm sorry, say again. Is it available as a hard copy and also Kindle? Digital? Not hard copy yet. We're, we're toying with that, but right now they're all soft cover. Some are on uh, uh, audio, not audio, but Amazon. Um, yeah, some of our, uh, what the hell do you call them things? You, you look at them online. Um, Kindle. Ebooks. Okay, Kindle. Yes, yeah, some are. Yeah, some are available as ebooks. They're all available as soft cover, and okay. the price is the same: twenty-five bucks a piece, and uh, shipping nine dollars a piece anywhere in the world. Now, you're, you've got a couple um, trips coming up. Um, am I correct? This will be the first trip you've been able to make since uh, the COVID nineteen bioweapon yeah. was released. Yeah, Kung flu virus. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. We're going to Germany, and anybody wants to come along, come along, give you the information. Uh, two weeks, the last week in September, first week in October, um, we go in and out of Munich, uh, spend a few days in Munich, then we go to uh, uh, Nuremberg and see the party sites there. We go to a, a fantastic air museum where they've got everything from the copy of the Lilienthal glider up to uh, uh, the ME-262s and they got a Heikel 111 bomber in there. It's, it's fantastic. Wow. Um, and if you ever... did. Uh, People have seen the movie Where Eagles Dare, you know, and they they filmed it in that castle. Yes. Uh, whatever, I forget the name of the castle. Anyhow, it's been closed. It's privately owned. It's been closed to the public forever, but now we're going in there for a tour. We go to another air museum down in Salzburg where they also have an F-4F Navy Corsair. And they have a P-38 Lightning, and they've got a B-25 Mitchell Bomber, and they fly these things. Last time we were there, in the museum, we look outside the big glass doors, and there's the Corsair with the wings folded up. It had been a a carrier pigeon, and the mechanics are banging around on it, working on it, and here comes the pilot carrying his helmet, his hat, as we used to say, and he climbs into into the cockpit, and all of a sudden you see that big sixteen foot diameter prop starting to turn, and you hear that pocket to pocket to pocket, and then boom, 
that thing comes to life he pushes the button the wings fold down he taxied out and he took off in that World War II Navy fighter and linked up with the P-38 lightning that was circling overhead man if that don't jerk up your pucker string man that's amazing so we go there we go to an underground factory sorry go ahead will you be there during Oktoberfest Oh yes, of course. Uh, it is the biggest. It is the biggest uh, state fair, I guess you'd call it, in the world. It is incredible. Um, the big, huge beer tents uh, are only to show off the Munich beers. So there's Shore Keller and there's uh, there's all sorts of different beers, but they're only made in Munich. And each beer tent, <laughs> you think, houses at least 20,000 people, because that's how many people you think are in there. But no, uh, well over a 1,000, jammed elbow to elbow. And everyone has a big stage sticking out overhead, and they've got an umpa band there, and everybody's umpa band is trying to drown out the guy in the next tent, and everybody is sloshing beer in these big one-liter mugs called a mas. I don't drink beer. Um, but you watch, and everybody's singing, having a wonderful time. You sit down wherever you get a seat. It might not be with people in our group, because we have to scatter and you you meet new friends that way. We had a guy last last time in 2019. He was sitting across the table from this gal. Everybody was drunk. He was putting a make on this girl, this lady, and her husband passed out drunk. I don't know if they were connected. Probably not, because everybody was drunk. But and then the gorgeous lady singer was about 28 years old. She came down to the table where I was because her brother was sitting at that table and she and I are standing up on the table arm around her singing Delilah because she had just been singing that up on stage my 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 Delilah <laughs> I'm surprised the tent didn't empty out with my singing that's a Tom Jones uh, song but we just have a hell of a time how did that get over there yeah and um, we go to yeah, how do you oh yeah now I, <laughs> come with shark hunters uh, I heard ask for the information shark hunters you what? I heard that they serve up some organic beef over there. Is that true? You can get a good steak? Or uh, what are they having? Are they having oh, yeah. sausage? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they got a lot of lot of uh, pork. And my favorite is uh, Schweinebraten. It's uh, pork that's been marinated, and it comes with a big ball of uh, kind of like uh, jellied potatoes and big heavy ground brown gravy or I get Jaeger schnitzel which is a pork cutlet loaded with dark uh, gravy with little chopped up scallions and mushrooms in it oh man you can't get a bad meal you can't get a bad beer I'm told and you can't take a bad photograph the place looks like everywhere you go it looks like it fell off a postcard well do they have any hot bread and, and the butter over there so nice. gotta have some bread hot what they got they got any rolls or bread to go with that? Oh God, they got all sorts of brochen. Yeah, they got rolls, bread, dark bread, um, and if you like uh, uh, kraut, you got the sauerkraut, which is the white cabbage, 
or you got roll, cold or red cabbage, which I like. Uh, what about? And my favorite, my big down, downfall, is called Heisaliba, hot love. It's three big scoops of vanilla ice cream with hot raspberries poured over it oh, and about a, a foot high wobble of whipped cream. My, I don't even take my blood sugar meter over there because I know I'll just peg the meter. Well, I'll eat some of that with you. Now, what about any Hassenpfeffer? Do you eat Hassenpfeffer? No. <laughs> you know what Hassenpfeffer means? It's rabbit, right? Yeah, I don't eat rabbit. Just curious. I remember on the cartoons, they always <laughs> no, talk about Hassenpfeffer. So I'm curious. Do you get any Hassenpfeffer right. over there? Um, I, I've never even seen Hassenpfeffer. Um, and at the time we're going, oh, God, every place you go, especially you get down into southern Bavaria and Austria, uh, pum- pumpkins, kerbis, K-U-R-B-I-S, pumpkins. There's pumpkins everywhere. You get pumpkin soup, pumpkin salad, pumpkin pie, pumpkin this, pumpkin that. I am so sick of pumpkin. But that's, you know, you, the food is just awesome. You can't get a bad meal. Honest to God, I've never had a bad meal all the time I've been in Germany and Austria. Now, in, adi- in addition to the good food, uh, in Germany, are there any bunkers left to be exported? Have they been all demolitioned? Anything to see underground? No, there, there, are, there are some, and we're going to some. Unfortunately, the ones we really love under the Hotel Zum Turken are closed because the lady who owned it, my best lady friend in Germany, she, let's face it, she got clipped. And the place has been sold to man people that don't want to be known, and it's closed, they say forever, and they got the best bunkers underneath. But we do go to other bunkers. <coughs> Excuse me, there's one called the Deep Bunker, we're going there. You got to be halfway fit to get there because you go, you walk about a mile through the forest wow. on a path that gets more and more narrow and more narrow. And just about the time there ain't no path left, you look to the right and there's this eight foot by eight foot hole in the mountain. And in oh. you go. This tunnel goes back a half a mile, wow. makes a zig right, and goes another quarter mile and then it stops because that's when the war was over there's still holes with dynamite sticks in them I, I have to tell people don't go banging on them now Harry uh, where is Austria there's other tunnels going to. where is Austria in relation to uh, to Germany uh, and the trip you're taking in other words will you be over there uh, and able to take people up to some of Hitler's sites like the Eagle Nest and so forth We go there, and the Eagle's Nest is not in Austria, uh, but where we, uh, one of the places we're going to stay for about four days is about 10 clicks from the Austrian border. So we go to Eagle's Nest. That's the only thing that they decided wasn't Nazi. They destroyed Hitler's home, Goering's home, etc. Even though they were damaged in a bombing, they just took them apart. Uh, but they make about, they make about, I, I've estimated about twenty, thirty thousand dollars a day at the Eagle's Nest, so it's not Nazi. Well, I'm talking about and from the Eagle's Nest on a clear Berchtesgarten. That's about the area, what? right? Berchtesgarten. So that's actually still in the borders of Germany. It's not into Austria. I had my geography wrong. 
That's correct. It's in Germany, about 10 clicks from Austria. Okay. And here's something I'll bet you didn't know, and you're a very religious guy. There's a town called Hallein, which is just over the border into Austria. Hallein, H-A-L-L-E-I-N, and that is where we got the song Silent Night, Holy Night. I didn't know that. Um, and there's, there's a church there where it originated. Allegedly, the power went out or something, and so the pastor put the words together, Silent Night, Holy Night, Stilles Nacht, Heilige Nacht. How far are you going to be on this trip from Vienna, Austria? Do you have any idea how far Vienna is? Yeah, yeah it's not far, but we, we don't include Vienna. Uh, it's a nice city, but it's a it's a, just a big city. The reason we I want say to go where there's history. There is a museum there that claims to have the sword of destiny that Hitler had captured, and then at the end of the, the war, the spear of destiny. The spear of destiny. That's where apparently it was taken and it was returned to. That would be interesting to see. Um, yep, yep, yep. Um, and in the town of. Uh, uh, where uh, Nuremberg, they have a, a replica there. But in, in Vienna, yeah, that's where the Spear of Destiny, which is the Spear of uh, Longinus, was the guy's name, the uh, Roman centurion, who pierced the side of Christ with that, the whole sword, the spear ain't there because the wood has rotted away centuries ago, but this allegedly is the spear head. Uh, the Germans got it when there was the Anschluss. No, they they did not conquer, overrun Austria. It was uh, put to a vote. Ninety-eight percent of the Austrians wanted to merge with Germany at that time and create Gross Deutschland. But then this spear allegedly was hidden in another area, allegedly Antarctica. That's the biggest doggone mystery there is, and there's people that won't let you go there. Um, uh, but it was brought back, and it's now in Vienna. Now, you're going to be up in Berlin, Germany, on this trip. Is that right? No, not Berlin. No, that's another whole way well, uh, far away. Okay, the reason I mentioned is I didn't know if you are going to be in Berlin because I heard that the Pergamon altar has been opened up to the public again, the one that was transported oh. over from Patmos, Germany. Uh, Pergamon altar, a.k.a. the throne of Satan. And uh, it was sealed yeah. off for about seven years. It's been opened up, um, and it's in Berlin, which is interesting. It'll be interesting to see because it's mentioned in the Bible, the throne of Satan, Pergamon altar. Uh, now, right. you're, you're going but to But that's Germany. a long way from where we are, and, uh, you know, just the travel distance, time, cost, etc. Okay. prohibitive. Now, um, this could be a great trip. Is it uh, too late for yes, people to sign up? You got any uh, slots still open if people are interested? We still have slots open, and um, the cost does not include air. We tried that in the early days, and I, I have to add the air cost on anyhow because I'm not a nice guy to pay for everybody, but you got to get to JFK. I'm in Florida, so I'd have to pay my own way to JFK. The guys out in California, they'd have to pay their way to JFK. And then we've got one guy coming who's living in Germany. Why would he worry sure. about airfare? And we'd always get some guy, hey, i got 40 gazillion frequent flyer miles. How much 
are you going to take off? So now, no, we just say get your own self to Munich. Once you're in Munich, you're with the tour. It includes all your hotel. Uh, it includes all your breakfast. It includes all your ground transportation. It includes entry to every place we're going, which includes also the Hofbrauhaus, which is where Hitler made a lot of his speeches. So, and and the cost is four thousand. About four thousand three hundred. I, th- I think it's four thousand two ninety eight or something like that. Plus eight hundred if you want a single single supplement. And um, to reserve a spot, what do they need to do? They need to act now, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're closing in on the goal date. And send an uh, send an email, sharkhunters at sharkhunters dot com. Say you want information on that. We'll send you the uh, information. Uh, no obligation. It'll get there. Okay, one more question for you, and then we're going to wrap up by you giving information on people on how they can be a shark hunter. But tell me about the South America trip. Do you have one on the board yet to go back to Argentina, maybe Paraguay and Chile also? That right now, it's it's kind of a tenuous situation. We are... The doors are open now. They don't have to worry about Kung flu virus or any of that crap. But <clears throat> they are in such incredible inflation. Last time I heard from them, it was 109% wow. inflation. Wow. Yeah. What's that mean? When for, I first uh, went... Travel. What, well, it means they're, they're, uh, they're in trouble. Um, when I first went there, 2008, one Yankee dollar bought four pesos. Now... Official rate, one Yankee dollar buys almost 300 pesos, and on the black market, you can get 400 pesos for a dollar, U.S. dollar. You can darn near buy people for a couple of bucks. I'm being facetious, of course, but your meals, every plus, they've got a major national presidential election in October, and my friends down there say that they're sitting on a powder keg so I'm not going to put together a tour yet if I think things are going to come unstrung well let me ask you this it's a beautiful country I love Argentina the food is great again the people are great Uh, where would you fly to Buenos Aires is called the uh, Paris of the South so would you fly would you fly to Buenos Aires and then work your way up to Anolco to Hitler's house for a stay uh, yeah, we fly in. Uh, we fly in and out of Buenos Aires, but not up to Hitler's house. It's down to Hitler's house. It's seven hundred miles southwest. So you uh, you don't want to try to drive that. It'd be like going cross country in America, right? Uh, well, seven hundred miles. Okay, that'd be like going. Yeah, from... except Go you you can take a bus, which we did one time. And these are not the buses like you see in Romancing the Stone where you got to kick the pigs and chickens out of your oh. way. These are like airplanes without wings. Oh, yeah. Uh, single row seating on one side, double row seating on the other side. Ultra modern. And uh, <clears throat> they got a stewardess on board. You get going and the stewardess comes back. This is late in the, late in the afternoon. You tell her what you want for dinner. Wow. You tell her what you want for breakfast, and you're rumbling along through the pampas, and she comes with your uh, dinner tray. It's not all crammed up like like a greyhound. It's, it's like almost like uh, business class on an airplane. Oh, yeah. You finish your dinner. You get all done. You lay your 
chair back. It turns into a bed. She'll give you a pillow and a blankie. And you're thundering through the pampas. Lights are out. Away you go. Then suddenly the music starts. The lights come on. Oh, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. Here's your hot coffee, senor. Here's your tea. Oh, it's nice. It's nice. Tienes leche? But the airplane is quick. (laughs) Coffee con leche? Yeah, Zucker. Um, Listen, I've got a (laughs) fresh passport. Good for 10 years. I've got a multi-country visa stamp where I can actually leave the country now. There's no vaccine required to come back in. I don't know, man. Oh, that's good. If something opens up, I just might tag along with you. And we got to go down there and do some exploration in Argentina and then make it back over across the border and go into Paraguay and look for some people down there. Yeah, I'm going myself uh, on expedition as soon as I can get the clearance from the Argentine admirals. But my friends in uh, South Brazil are all set to go Wow! on the trail of Mangala and a few others. And we're not Nazi hunters. We're historians. Right. Um, so they're ready to go. Let's go they're, find Mangala. doctors. The true story. Yeah, well, uh, he's... Yeah, good luck. Uh, and- but we're working on it. One of our members was a Dutch intel agent, and he said that his boss had a sit-down interview with Mengele that he put on tape one year after the alleged stroke and drowning of Mengele and also Mengele's lawyer was trying to get confirmation from the allies that if Mengele popped up from the dead would he still be prosecuted Wow! and they assured him yes they would still prosecute so he didn't pop up again but We've been in the uh, beautiful uh, spa, whatever you call it, where he used to live. There's pictures of it in this book. And um, incidentally, uh, I'm on the radio tomorrow night also with pictures, uh, if I can mention Rents Radio. Oh, yes. Uh, What time are you going to be on tomorrow tomorrow with Jeff Rents? What time? Tomorrow at 9 o'clock Florida time, Eastern time, 9 o'clock, go to www.rents.com, R-E-N-S-E. You'll see these pictures, the room where Mengele lived, the gate the Mossad agents came through to try to grab him. Um, He had bodyguards. (laughs) Oh, God, yes, he had bodyguards. And we talked to people down there who knew him. And uh, and also knew Hitler down there. Now this is, and we also. You're talking say uh, again. What is the location for that? Paraguay, or still Argentina? Yeah. Okay. No, no, Paraguay. Folks, you want to tune in tomorrow, and Jeff Rents. You being a religious guy. Tell me. I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want to say you want to tune in tomorrow. Go to rents r e n s e dot com. Jeff Rents. Yep. A pioneer in radio is going to be interviewing uh, Harry Cooper. They'll be talking about uh, the books and more secrets with photos. And uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. They can tune in live by going to his website, right? Yep. www.rents.com. And then over on the left 
border. There'll be some uh, tonight's guest. You'll click on it <laughs> on Thursday. You click on it, and it'll have Wednesday's guests on it. Uh, it takes them a little bit to change it over, but you just click there, and we'll come up. and And there's about 25 photos on the photo array, and we'll be talking in depth about this book. There's also uh, something you and I didn't have time to get into, but there's a picture of a guy, I'm sure you know his name, Anton LaVey. You took the words out of my mouth. That was my bonus question. Uh, I saw the photo on this <laughs> fast blast that you sent email. What is? How does he figure into the equation? Can you give us any details? What's Anton LaVey doing? Got to read the book. Oh, boy, folks. Is that <laughs> Hidden Secrets, Volume 5? Yeah. Folks, uh, Hidden Secrets, Volume 5. And uh, you're going to love the book. You can go and order it at sharkhunters.com. Harry, uh, let me just say this. Uh, if the conditions are right yep. for a uh, South American expedition to go down to Paraguay, uh, and, of course, Argentina, Buenos Aires, in addition to whatever the airfare would be, what do you... You've been down there many times. What do you need for traveling money to go down right. there and pull this thing off? Because you got to, you know, get transportation on the ground, uh, room and board. What would it actually take you to go down and accomplish what you need to do down there on a trip? What are we uh, looking at? Five grand, ten grand? What would I, it cost? About five will do it. And we lost our angel. Jack Goodyear was a member, and he was a wonderful guy, but he couldn't travel, and he call me up harry i I heard about such and such down at so and so you want to go yeah and he'd send me five thousand i'd go down there and get a ton of pictures and send him the pictures and uh, release all the information i found here's something you'd be interested in being a religious guy the uh the jesuits my friends down there said they wanted to go see this one jesuit community i figure okay we got a couple of mud huts that was a cathedral for god's sake they sat 200 people in the choir really just massive and they had a whole village there but they you know i wanted to buy a a videotape no no sorry senor no videotapes you got photos Uh, no senor not yet so yeah some interesting stuff to uncover uh are you also interested in going over to chile and maybe going up to uh uh, Colonia Dignidad and Colonia Dignidad yeah on my own I would like to try it yeah I'll go but there not with, with you. a group uh, there's a testimony of a guy named Peter Lavinda who went up there in the 70s and uh, yeah I know Peter Lavinda he got to the the gate and uh, he saw Schaefer and the crew he barely got out of there <laughs> yeah what a story that is. I'd like to go yeah, up there with you. And Schaefer, yeah, Schaefer, I don't know if he really was guilty. They, they, I think they were just trying to close him down. They arrested him for pedophilia. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But these things can be so manufactured. Harry, um, how can people learn more about this great World War II research that you're doing and get the books? And also, they want to become a member of Shark Hunters. What are some of the benefits of being a shark hunter? Oh, you get the uh, almost monthly magazine. Some people call it a newsletter. It ain't. It's a magazine magazine. full of history like this. Um, And we're working on, uh, well, if you're a member of Shark Hunters, you get a discount on our patrols, which we call our tours. My friend Hans Georg Hess told me patrols. 
<clears throat> so the four thousand three hundred dollar tour to Germany, you knock two hundred bucks off of that, um, which that'll buy you some schnitzel and beer. Uh, research. There's people that want to know. Hey, I've got such and such information. What can you tell me? If they're a member, they get it. If they're not a member, sorry, folks. Harry, this trip, are membership you membership is everything. Only. Um, are you going to be taking your? Are you going to be taking your drone with you? Did you get it repaired? Is it flight worthy? Oh, I had it repaired long ago. Yeah, I had it repaired long ago. I might take it to uh, Europe. I don't know. Definitely to South America. You got to and get that thing airborne, and get some aerial footage. Uh, Harry has a drone, and exactly. uh, with this, he can get some stuff that they've never been able to get before from the air. Uh, pretty amazing technology. Yep. Uh, again, to become a shark hunter, what is the cost per year? Sixty bucks a year, and that gives you everything. Uh, your magazine comes to you by uh, by the internet. Um, almost daily uh, history updates. You get them, the hot mails. Yes, with with the picture of Anton Lavey on it uh, yeah. yesterday. Uh, just send an email to Shark Hunters at Shark Hunters dot com and say you want information there you go it's free doesn't well, cost you nothing to get information if you're interested in world war ii history uh information on what really happened at the end of the war um and more become a shark hunter and harry uh do you still offer a complimentary magazine for those that want to try it out if they write to you absolutely 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 as, as soon as we get a, uh, an email saying, hey, I'm interested, bingo. We'll send the current issue of the magazine. And, uh, um, <laughs> I don't know if you heard my puppy in the background there. She's saying it's time to go out. Harry, I want to thank you for uh, going uh, the distance with me today. Uh, I'm looking forward to tuning into your program tomorrow with Jeff Rents Again, rents.com. Tell Jeff I said hello and uh, that I uh, told you I'm the uh, – uh, 11th cousin of uh, Werner Von Braun. <laughs> <laughs> Seven times removed. Right. <laughs> He's yeah, way back there. You guys went to different schools together. Big time. It's I didn't bump into him. But, All uh, right. Always a pleasure, my friend. We'll see you again. Thank you very much for coming on tonight. My pleasure. Roger that. Harry Cooper, sharkhunters.com. Yeah, write him. Uh, and they'll send you one of the editions of the Shark Hunters magazine. It's an e-magazine. And in one of these, they reveal where Hitler is located right now. Uh, Harry has been doing this research for over 40 years. Started back in the 80s when he was out in the Bahamas piloting his uh, boat and uh, saw something on the shoreline up there on the, the cliff. And... Uh, was a mansion in ruins and inquired and found out that that was actually one of the refueling stations for U-boats back during World War II and got up there and found a radio tower where they had an antenna and um, he said Nazis in Bahamas? Uh, he was all in at that point and began to uh, take trips and has got footage that uh, will never be seen again. Uh, except on the footage because the original site, some have been destroyed or you can't get to them anymore. Uh, he found, they found three submarines 
over there in um, in Germany and um, were able to get into this site that was off limits and went down there and walked on top of the U-boats, been into bunkers that uh, will never be explored again. Uh, and many locations today that are off limits to most people, but he's got extensive connections and people on the ground. And uh, again, many of these people um, left him with information that he was told he could not release until 25 years later, uh, in some cases after their death. Well, Harry's still alive and kicking, and uh, the time limits have expired. He kept his word to them, and he's releasing stuff now, secrets of World War II that have never been revealed since um, the time they occurred. Well, nobody knows uh what's in these books until he releases them and you're going to find some amazing facts if you're interested in World War II history. Hidden Secrets of World War II, Volume 5, is out right now. And uh, he's also got a trilogy on uh, Hitler, what happened at the end of the war, the escape of him and Eva Braun, um, all these spooks from the different intelligence agencies have um, contributed uh, to this project. And uh, Harry is uh, an amazing walking encyclopedia of World War II with an emphasis on the Third Reich and uh, U-boat history and um, etc. So this is just intriguing to me. Um, what happened, you know? And why we're continuing to be told stories that are not true, uh, such as Hitler dying in the bunker in '45. No, he lived, just as Mengele lived, Martin Bormann lived. And you, if you paid attention, Hitler's, uh, excuse me, the uh, the Third Reich uh, is still going. It's in the Fourth Reich mode right now. And that's uh, something that is even affecting history as we speak. Uh, we deserve to know the facts. Okay, good, bad, or ugly. Let's hear the truth and let the chips fall where they may. Now, um, two things on my list of things to do is I want to actually take a trip at some point with Harry and go down to Argentina also want to hit Paraguay and Chile and there is uh, some information that I'm not at liberty uh, because I've been basically sworn to secrecy to divulge on this program but let's just say it won't rewrite history books when the work that some of these people that I know is completed and uh, it's very possible I can tag along and be a, an eyewitness to some of these discoveries. I do speak survival Spanish, which so I have an advantage. Uh, Harry speaks German. I speak some Spanish, enough to you know get around. And, and as people are talking in Espanol, yo puedo escuchar. Okay, at any rate, uh, I was just curious, what would it cost in addition to airfare? About five grand. So if somebody wants to fund Omega Man for an expedition, south of the border, well, get in contact with me. But uh, in all likelihood, Harry's not going to take a trip with a, a group down there again, uh, but he would go solo and probably I would tag along with him. So that's something I want to do if I have the funds at some point. I also want to get over to Jabal al Mount Sinai. That's in Saudi Arabia. It's opened up since... Uh, Trump was in office, 
you can now get in there for the first time uh, without having to have a special invite from the uh, Saudi Arabian government to come into the kingdom and you can actually hire for about five grand plus airline fare uh, a guide to take you out in the desert go the path of the uh, Israelites as they came out of across the Red Sea they go into Midian you get up there you can get up on the mountain see the split rock of Horeb Elijah's caves up there the top of the mountain is black where the fire of God came down and roasted it and uh, that's something I want to do I've been to Israel twice uh, got up on the Temple Mount I've been to Golgotha what I, what I believe was Golgotha or at least Gordon's Calvary uh, been into the garden tomb uh, met Jerry Golden and the boat project I went there the first time without Cuppet and then a second time um, went back with my brother in 2007 haven't been back to Israel since so that was something I had to do get up there and get on that temple mount done that now I want to go to Mount Sinai and then back to World War II history I want to go down to uh, Buenos Aires get out there to Analco look at that house where Hitler lived on the lake see some of the other sites and then pop across the border into Paraguay and uh, that's where the trail of Mingle and Martin Borman get warm and then of course you can get over into Chile and see uh, Colonia Dignidad I've been uh, hosting these programs with Harry for many years and uh, he was taking regular expeditions up until COVID and then that shut down everybody's ability to, to go and then uh, in my own particular case uh, having residency that goes five years at a time here in uh, Indonesia, uh, a stipulation was uh, they have they uh, want you to be in country if you're going to have a residency permit. So they have what's called a multiple entry visa, and they only gave me two years. And so once that expired, if I had ever left, if I could have, uh, I would have lost my uh, my visa, but. On top of that, I wouldn't have been able to even come back in without the vax until about a month ago, six weeks ago. So the uh, the ban on travel here, unless you have the vax, has been lifted. I've been able to get my passport renewed. It's good for 10 years. And the last thing I just completed two weeks ago was to get a new multi-entry stamp. So it's good for another year. I can now take my first trip in over three, three years, go and come. And then uh, I don't have to renew my Indonesian residency again until uh, next year. So we've done every possible thing that we need to do as a family to get our paperwork in order. Everybody's got fresh passports. And then, uh, again, I've got all my documents in order, and so I could actually take a trip. But at some point, I want to try to get over there. Forget God's will. Uh, get Got to get to Summit, Mount Sinai, do a podcast from there, probably launch a drone. And some have been doing this. Uh, there's that dude Joel something what's his name uh, he's been over there a couple times there's regular tours now going over there uh, Stan Johnson's the last person I know that went this past year uh, he went uh, him and uh, Sister Johnson they went over to uh, Mount Sinai so it can be done it costs about five grand plus airline and then uh, Paraguay is open again uh, Argentina is open again. 
So these are some interesting exploratory trips. So if there's an angel investor out there, want to finance this, well, just let us know. Uh, not really much to get over there, and uh, who knows what could still be uncovered. More secrets. <laughs> but, uh, hey, I might even camp out over there in uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, maybe stay up there in Elijah's cave, and then uh, we'll do an Omega Man episode, like, right there. What's we'll pre-recorded, though, unless uh, we can get a a good inter- uh, internet connection out there. I guess you would need a set phone out there. Well, hope you enjoyed tonight's program with Michael Cummins and um, Harry Cooper. We're going to be back tomorrow. What time is it? Oh, boy. Time's getting away on me. We're going to be on tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern with Elvis Newhart. We're going to have Gary Stafford and uh, John Terrell tomorrow. Friday, E.J. Buckhart. Joseph Ferrara and Tom, uh, Tom Mack. I don't think he's going to be back tomorrow. He got out of surgery. I've got to get an update on him. I talked to him a few days ago by text. And we need to see how he's doing. Uh, Gary Stafford will have some guests on tomorrow. Oh. Excuse me. I'm eating some nuts. Um, Terry Jefferson. i got to see if I can get him in. Looking here at the schedule. Okay. Let's make a mental note there. Uh, check out sharkhunters.com for more information on Harry Cooper and his project. Our website is omegamanradio.com. We're on our 13th year. This is season 13. And um, check out the Omega Man Reloaded. That's where I'm putting all the 10,000 plus shows as I remaster them. Releasing a few per day, Monday through Friday typically. Just put some new ones up there yesterday. Um and um, it's right there for the for the taking. It's all free. All these shows we do are free. Help yourself. If you want to support this work that we're doing, it keeps fueling the machine to keep going. <clears throat> Much appreciated. You can go to OmegaManRadio.com. God has told me to continue this project, so continue we will. And as long as we have fuel to do these shows, we'll do it. And if the day comes, we we dry up and have no more fuel in the tank well we have went the distance and have over 10,000 almost 400 shows now that um, is our uh, legacy so uh, I'm very proud in the Lord on what we've been able to accomplish pray to God be the glory praise the Lord Jesus Christ apart from him we could have done nothing we've gotten this far and I'm excited I think uh, this is the world record for most episodes ever produced for a podcast, and probably will be, <clears throat> especially if I continue, because we're still cranking out um, about 60 live shows per month. That's a lot of work that we've done over the years, and uh, there are valuable episodes that we've done. Most of them are very valuable, even today, with information that you need to be an overcomer. So, I hope you will go and uh, sign up and subscribe for our free podcast, Omega Man, and also the Omega Man Reloaded over there on Podbean. And there's other sites you can also get access to it. Just go to uh, my website, OmegaManRadio.com. That's all you got to remember, and that will take you to the rest of the places. God richly bless all of you today. Thank you for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you again, hopefully tomorrow. God bless you all.